Don't worry, baby. We're back. <laughs> That's my bad Keith David to welcome you to episode 44 of GBW after a three-week hiatus. Yeah, we're really pumped, too, because we were listening to Coco Beware. We were. As we uh, were getting ready to record. Dude, it sounds like an argument. Sorry, sorry. An argument. <laughs> it sounds just like a pile driver. Yeah. Yeah. Why does he say it like that? I don't know, man. I, I, I think he, like... I don't want to sound bad, but maybe he's just learning ebonics or something. Well, it sounded like he was trying to, like, rhyme and, like, changing words. It sounds like argument. It sounds just like a... No, that's not rhyming. I feel like we should start over. We're not starting over. <laughs> Welcome to episode 44. I'm Chris. That guy over there is that's Josh. Me. Hi. So how's it going, man? It's going good. We, we had a little break. We haven't seen each other because I went uh, away. He went away to Portland. I did. I went and the saw, hipsters. I went and saw all the hipsters who aren't as lame as the Vancouver hipsters. That's true. So uh, we're going to talk about what we've been watching, but uh, our topic this week is movie reference books. Yes. So we put a spin on this. We Nerd just thought, alert. <laughs> yeah. We just thought this was cool because, you know, everyone's had those experiences with movie reference books in their youth. Well, not everyone, buddy. See, I was just thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, before or since IMDb came along, I guess, yeah, I don't think a lot of people that, there's there just isn't any movie reference books anymore. That's like, a th- yeah. anyone in the last twenty years probably doesn't even know what it's like to like get a book and check it off and shit. That, that's true because now it's like if you want to know what a director did, you just go on IMDb and type in their name. It's so much easier. For Whereas people. back in the day, we'd be like, okay, well. I got to find all the movies by this guy. Yeah. Hopefully there's an index in the back of this book that's exactly. going to have his name yeah, on it. Yeah. Okay. So you're so right. annoying when they weren't in the index. I know. And especially, <laughs> especially because most of the stuff I watched was fringe stuff. Yeah. So those fuckers would never get in the index of these like, you know, more mainstream books. Yeah. For they sure. They would just focus on the, the, uh, the people that people would know. Yeah. There'd be no like freaking Jess Franco. No. In the back of these books. So. That's for sure. But we'll talk about that a little bit more. Let's uh, talk about what we've watched. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first? Whatever. Yeah, go ahead. Well, do you want, do you want me to bring up the one we both saw recently? Sure. Might as well. So I know we both saw this. Um, it's a new release called The Nice Guys. Yep. Um, from 2016 because it's a new release. Uh, yeah, we both saw it in the theaters. Yeah. What do you th- wow, who'd have thunk that? So, nice guys. I thought it was awesome. It was great. Yeah. So this is a, a sort of a, it's a cop, like a buddy cop thing almost. It's sort of. It's like a. I I I'd like to explain it as like an anti buddy cop movie, right? Because they're not really buddies. Well, they kind of buddies. They are, but they aren't because like they kind of like tolerate each other more than anything. Actually, it's more Russell Crowe's character tolerates Ryan Gosling's yeah. character yeah. more than anything. Yeah. So the movie is set in Los Angeles, 1977, and they're both separate like detectives. Russell Crowe's kind of a, a badass one. Like he gets the job done. He's always paid mostly to like, you know, stop people from harassing other people. And then Ryan Gosling, he's just like, I thought I like I thought Russell Crowe was more of like a thug than a he's, detective. Yeah, he's like a thug detective. Yeah. He's the guy who you like say you're getting harassed at school. He's the guy you'd give like 20 bucks to come over and like beat them up or whatever yeah. or threaten them. When and Ryan Gosling's this guy who's like he's kind of a hackish kind of detective. Yeah. And he's like a huge alcoholic. Yeah. And he just like kind of is hired to find missing people and stuff. Yeah. 
And I like the opening of this movie where it's the guy, the, the kid, he's like sneaking under the bed to look at his dad's Playboys. Yeah. And then the car comes tearing through the middle <laughs> of the house. And when he goes and checks it out, it's the centerfold of the Playboy he was looking yeah, at. Super awesome. That was pretty cool. And she was topless. Yeah. Well, so of course she can't was. Can't complain. And what was the word she said to him? She said like, uh, want to ride big boy? Something like that. Something yeah. like that, which is what her quote said in the centerfold too, I believe. Yeah. So... They basically get thrown into this, like, missing person slash murder case. Yeah. Which takes them through, you know, the... Hollywood, basically. You know, basically the decadence of 70s Hollywood, you know. Yeah. They, they go to, like, movie producers' houses where there's, like, freaking uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire playing. And everyone's <laughs> having watching pornos and having sex. And Was that supposed to be Earth, Wind, and it Fire? It was supposed to be Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's... The thing about this movie is it's it's the most fun I've had at the theater in you know, the last year for sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Yeah. And it's like, it's, e- it's even funny when it's like something I would normally be like, this is stupid. It was funny. It's so movie. tightly written. Yeah. Like Sh- Shane Black, who directed it, he also co-wrote it. It's, it's, he just, him and his co-writer, I didn't get the name. Did you write it down? Um, no. Okay. Well, his, his, his less focused co-writer, <laughs> um, they just nailed it for like the wittiness and just that that aesthetic of the seventies. Like I've always dreamed of, you know, seeing Hollywood in the seventies, right? Yeah. And this was like a slice of that, like just kind of like this day glow colored, kind of like off the cuff, tongue in cheek Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I was a little bit hesitant going in about uh, Russell Crowe and gosling what kind of pair they'd made and i thought they were perfect together i don't think russell crowe's ever done a comedy actually not really that no. i can remember i thought he was great oh yeah he was like, really good like he was he was like kind of the straight man to gosling for a lot of it though yeah gosling's always good though he is he's he's more than a pretty face yeah i haven't seen the notebook but it's well, he's, he's always pretty good you don't want to see the notebook i'm gonna get in trouble for saying that because <laughs> my girlfriend loves it yeah but i'm a man so i don't like the notebook <laughs> really I always said, you know what makes... You didn't like The Notebook? Have I shared the theory of you of chick flicks? Have no. we talked about this on this podcast before? I don't I, think so. If you want to get a man to watch a girl movie, this is what you got to do. First 15 minutes of the movie, have a ninja. Just have him in the background doing flips <laughs> and shit. You know, have some nunchucks or whatever. Then have him leave the movie. He come back at the very end in the credits or something, but for the rest of that movie, that guy's going to be sitting there going, I saw fucking Ninja. Where'd he go? When's he coming back? Yeah, right. That's how you get a guy to watch a chick. Was play. there a Ninja in the notebook? No, but it would be a better movie if there was. But really, was it really not a good movie? It was okay. It was better than Titanic. Okay. There you go. Although well, it didn't have people... Like falling into fucking smokestacks on boats and stuff. So I'll but, tell you, I, I got a confession to make. I watched that? Sleepless in Seattle. Did you? In the last two weeks, yeah. Why? I don't know. Was it on TV or something? No. You, you have the DVD? I have the video VHS. Why do you have the VHS of Sleepless it in Seattle? It just came across my desk, but. Um, I got to tell you. But I watched it. I got to tell you, honestly. Bad. It wasn't that bad. Honestly, Sleepless in Seattle's pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It's you've got mail with those two that sucks. Okay, this podcast, everyone, this podcast, hey, um, it's not about mainstream chicks. This flicks, podcast is so just... holy shit, we just got derailed. Just just so you know, um, our balls are now thoroughly inside our bodies after talking about girl flicks here. Okay. So, so anyway. let's go back to the guy flick. The back nice to the guys. nice guys. Yeah, yeah. So, um... 
<laughs> I really, really dug this movie. Like, I just thought it was a blast start to finish. Like, I thought they had great interplay. Um, one of my favorite scenes. I don't know. Can we talk? Should we talk about scenes or would this ruin the jokes for people? I, I think we can talk a little bit, but let's not spoil it because I think people should really go see okay, this My one. favorite scene in the entire movie is um, when Russell Crowe's at his apartment and these two thugs come to see him. One played by who? Keith, Keith David, David. Davey. <laughs> and um, they come to harass him, basically say, leave you know, our boss alone or whatever. And the one guy gets like a exploding bag of money on his face. So he's got the ink and everything. My favorite scene is when they start shooting at him and you see the girl in the apartment across the alleyway, get hit by bullets and fall down. (laughs) Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. There's a lot of little stuff like that. I just, I laughed so fucking hard when she got shot. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's just, it's stuff like that. If you dig buddy cop flicks, but you like them with a little bit of a ironic, humorous twist set in the 70s perfect movie for this no it was perfect Perfect. Perfect. and i really i thought it was like a five out of five yeah i really liked um andrew rice who played ryan gosling's daughter yeah and that's the thing like i usually can't stand kids in movies but she was like great she was great because she was like kind of precocious but not so much that she was annoying yeah like she was a smart kid and i liked how because Ryan Gosling's character was such a huge alcoholic in the movie, she had to drive him everywhere. Yeah. And she was 12. Yeah. Or 13. Yeah. So, you know, she was really great. Um, I just, you know, thinking about it, you have issues with the movie in the sense of its timing. I'm not going to be a huge nerd about this. Oh, God, here we go. (laughs) Opening. opening, Stuff I don't ever fucking notice. Opening title (laughs) card says it's 1977. They have a Jaws 2 billboard which came out in 1978. Dude. And the Earth, Wind, and Fire song, September, which they're playing at the party, came out in 1978. But you didn't know that off the top of your head. Yes, I did. How? I knew Jaws came out in 1978, Jaws 2. Okay. Earth, Wind, and Fire, I was pretty sure was late 70s because it was a disco Maybe song. it was like coming soon for the Jaws. Maybe. Right? I'm not bored. Maybe it was this, like fucking Jaws is coming this, out soon. This and did, it's, it's fucking 1977. <laughs> and I know we know it's coming out next year, but like, let's promote it now. Get ready to wet your pants. Jaws 2 is coming. Yeah, out. man. No, but I and don't have an issue. Fire, maybe it was like the single that came out <laughs> fucking before the album or whatever. Maybe. I don't have an issue with it particularly. It was payola, man. I just wish at the end, <laughs> at the beginning, they would have just said late 70s instead of giving it a year and having nerds okay. like me please, find things. audience please do not listen to this if do not let this dissuade you from seeing this movie no don't unless you're like obsessive about don't stuff like this. let my huge <laughs> ocd nerdiness ruin you from seeing the most fun movie you're going to see in a theater this year why do you keep stealing my quote that was my quote what i said it was anyway what's your quote did you know Jill Gerard was in this? Buck Rogers? No, what was he? Who was he? He was like the head of the like car company. Really? Yeah, that was oh. Buck Rogers. Sweet. And I also really liked um, the villain, um, one of the villains, Matt Bomer. Oh yeah, who Matt played Bomer. John Boy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know him. He was he's in a show called White Collar. Yeah, or he he's, he's pretty good. What I've seen, he was really great. He reminded me of that West guy though, that guy from American Beauty. Oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. West you know, Bentley. West Bentley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I'm really excited about Gosling, like in, in movies like this, like it's really made me warm up to him being in the Blade Runner sequel. And it also made me really want to see Lost River, which is the movie he directed last year. Yeah, I've heard good things about that. And I mean, everyone's, everyone just assumes that Ryan Gosling just does girl movies because of the notebook, right? 
But the guy was in fucking Drive. Yeah. And Drive is awesome. So the guy has range. He can act. Yeah, he's great. I mean, he just, he gets lumped in with like, because they did that thing where they did like the notebooks of him, like, hey girl, you know, kind of like, they were like these notebooks with cartoon characters on them that said, hey girl, chill out and shit like that, right? And he did the notebook. So he kind of got grouped in this like heartthrob thing. And yeah, he's much better than that. Yeah, he's pretty cool, dude. Yeah, cool dude. He's a nice guy. <laughs> and Keith David's in this movie. So Keith David, baby. I was so happy to see him. Oh, man. And he was like kind of like a pimpy character, too. Yeah. So that made it even better. He was awesome. Yeah, and he had this pretty sweet fight at the with Russell Crowe. He did. This movie's awesome from start to finish. Yeah, I, it was I great. I was like never bored, and I was like super happy through the whole movie. No, it was great. It was a lot of fun. They did yeah. a good job. Yeah. Shane Black, uh, he did another movie called Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Yeah. In 2005 with uh, Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr., which is also set in Hollywood. Yeah. And is about, you know, kind of a buddy comedy. And I've not seen it, but I've heard that Nice Guys is generally could have been a sequel to that movie. Just in tone yeah. and everything like I that. I heard that too. I want to check it out now. Yeah. Well, we both have it. So we yes, maybe we should watch it soon. Yeah. We should watch it. And we can talk about it soon. That'd be fantastic. There you go. Okay. Did you just like do that? I just did the yeah. podcast. Actions always are go over well with the audience. Yes, they do. So, you know, at least it wasn't me giving you a mushroom tattoo. Uh, let's talk about my other, let's talk about my other theatrical movie that I saw that you talked about last week. I went and saw Green Room. Yep. And uh, dude, so good. You know, I don't know. I like it. It was really good when I was watching it. Then but you thought about it and you're like, I don't know about that. Well, I just, I just, I don't know if I'd rate it as highly as everyone seems to be rating it. It was, it was a good tight little thriller, mm-hmm. but um, I just, I, I don't know what I said about it last week. Like, I don't know if I raved about it. You didn't really it. talk about it that much. Yeah, it, it was, it was fun. I mean, it was worth going to see, but it's not like one I'm going to, it's not like a classic, like Nice Guys was. Like, I don't know if I'm going to go and revisit this one over and over. And I think the main thing I had with it is I didn't really buy some of the people as punk rockers. <laughs> like, I kind of wish it was a little more realistic that way. But, I, I mean, it's a tight little movie. Yeah, it's, for a sure. good, it's good as a thriller. I, um, It totally made me, you know, I never thought Patrick Stewart would be someone who could give people nightmares. Yeah. And I think he was really, really solid and menacing in this movie. Yeah, he was and, good. And, you know, I'm used there, to him. He wasn't in it a lot, though. I know, but I'm just used to him, like, saying, number two, give me the warp drive or whatever, <laughs> you know? Like, it's just a weird <laughs> is role. What, is that what he says? I don't know. I've never seen Star Trek, the <laughs> next generation. Number two, number two on me. Does he say number two a lot? I think he says number two. Oh, Maybe he just needs to go to the bathroom. <laughs> number two. Number two. He's like, stop calling me number two. God damn it. Uh, it's the third writing and directing effort from Jeremy Solner, who did Blue Ruin a couple of years ago. Yeah. And he also did uh, Murder Party, which I just picked up on yeah, DVD. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it was like a, almost like a reverse home invasion movie. Yeah. Because it was them being trapped in this Nazi punk rock club and being trapped in the green room. Hence the title, right? And, you know, I just thought it was a tight, really well done thriller. Like, I'm not, I agree with you. I don't think it's like the greatest thing I've ever seen. But like a a lot of people are like putting this on top 10 lists now. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, it was, it was good. Like, I'm not, don't, don't think it wasn't good, but I'm just, 
I just, I was expecting this really, I was expecting to be on the edge of my seat the whole time, like stressed out. And I just never really felt that stressed out. Yeah, I, I didn't really feel that too. I just, I felt that he took what's basically a formula and, and kind of twisted it enough for it to work for me. Yeah. To be enjoyable. Like there was a couple scenes in this that I didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Yeah. But there's a couple scenes that I was didn't quite see coming that I was very happy about. Yeah. But like you said, I wasn't really that tense through the movie or anything. I wasn't like, oh shit, what are they going to do? How are they going to get out of this? Yeah. I just thought it was a very well done movie and well worth seeing, like very entertaining. Yeah, I mean, this director is definitely going places. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's improving with each project, I think. And uh, I haven't seen Murder Party, but from Blue Ruin to this, I thought I thought it was a, definitely a, a different style and a bit of a step up, um, just as far as being able to take on a bit of a bigger movie. Um, so I'm curious to see where he goes from here. Well, I now want to see his other two movies, so that's the power of Green Room, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, I'd recommend people go check that out too. Yeah, it's worth checking out. Yeah. I, I think it's good to see in the theaters as well. Yeah, um, it's, we actually were when we went, we weren't sure what to expect for a crowd because we were like, I don't know how this movie's going to play because I don't know if a lot of people know about it or how full it's going to be. The theater was actually three quarters full when we saw it. Yeah, that's good. So I mean, that's good that a movie that's low budget like that can actually open well enough to have an eighty percent full theater. Yeah. I mean, I know you went and saw it in a like an advanced screening. I did, yeah. And I don't know what I feel about those advanced screenings because I know it's just people who have gotten free passes who aren't really the audience for those kind of movies. Yeah. It's like when I went and saw The Witch, I got to see an advanced screening of that. And I could tell that most of the people there were not the audience for that movie. Right. Like the guy in front of me, as soon as the movie was over, was like, well, that fucking sucked. Yeah. You know, it's just like... I just feel like those advanced screenings don't get a real portrait of what the target audience is. Yeah, and I mentioned to you, we had a few walkouts in the advanced screening of Green Room just because of, I think, the content. I had one walkout in ours. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's nice. That was, yeah, it's, it's always good it's when it's good to get a walkout. <laughs> it's always good to get a walkout. It means they're doing something right. Yeah. So, what do you got next? Okay. Um,. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about if yeah, I'll talk about. I've, I watched a few found footage movies, so. and then I'll talk about the one I watched. You watched a found footage? Oh yeah, I did. yeah. Well, we can still go back and forth. I'm just yeah, saying we will, gotta... but we'll just group them all together. Okay. So the first one I watched was Chronicle. Oh yeah, I have that at home. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. So um, I've been I've been curious about this one for a while. So this is um, a 2012 movie directed by uh, Josh Trank. Um, now Josh Trank is um, kind of destroyed his own career yeah um, he's kind of notorious now yeah because he uh so he directed this movie and then somehow got the gig to direct the the fantastic four reboot um yeah. from marvel and um i guess i'm, I'm not it's it's kind of cloudy and what happened there but it sounds like he was a bit uh inconsistent <laughs> yeah. on, on set and then he tweeted like right before the movie came out that basically thought it was a piece of shit and that it would have been a way different movie had the studio not meddled. So pretty much committed career suicide. Pretty as much. As far as I know, between this, those two things. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with him because, um, uh, you know, you just never know with these things, but he has nothing lined up. So it feels like a kind of boondock saints type situation where 
the director just sort of went off and kind of blacklisted himself. So it's too bad because I, I and that's why I wanted to watch this movie because I'd heard a lot of good things. And this is a pretty fun movie. Um, so this is a found footage movie, but it's not like a horror movie like most found footage movies. This is about um, three uh, high schoolers that um, find this like weird, like it's almost like a meteorite or something. It's like something went into the ground and and it gives them superpowers and just sort of follows what happens to them, you know, as they're like learning how to use their superpowers and then um, and then um how that affects their psyche and and you know because one of them one of them is a real like nerdy kid who can't get along with anyone and all of a sudden now he's got these powers like that can impress everyone so how that affects him how it goes to his head and sort of changes him and then we've got um um the other two who are a little more uh um grounded with their well they do fly around but they're you know what i mean grounded um but it was it was a it was a fun it was a fun movie it's uh written by max landis who's john landis's yep. son and uh and josh trank uh, wrote the script together or wrote the um story together um the um michael b jordan is one of the um one of the three kids he's he's that guy he was in the controversially and he was in fantastic four playing the human torch right. which is traditionally a white man role and uh they changed the um and i don't know how i feel about this either but they kind of changed the mythology of fantastic four by making this guy like a, I think he was like adopted or something just so they could have who knows why they made that decision but anyway he's known for that diversity like, is why they made that decision what's that diversity is why they yeah made that so decision. i don't know how i feel about that whole yeah. thing um it, it just seems a little weird to me but um but it's it's a it's this is a good movie and and i uh it's a very low budget but it's still like a lot of a lot of computer stuff going on but it's really well done and it just you know it's one of these movies where you just kind of look at it and you're like wow it's really cool that they could you know, pull this off and it's a tight little story and you're kind of with the characters. I wasn't quite with the ending. I didn't really like the last act that much and where it went. Um, cause it got quite big and I also didn't really like some of the character arcs. Although I do kind of see why they could have gone that way. It just seemed a lot of it seemed pretty sudden and, and pretty rushed. Um, but overall a, a really great concept and, um, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I, I picked it up on Blu-ray for quite cheap and haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But what drew me to buying it in the first place was that it wasn't a horror found footage movie. Yeah. Like it was a different take on that subgenre. So that's I'll, I'll check it out now that you've said it's... It's pretty fun. It's a it's good, good little flick. Um, I am, I am, I'm really curious about Fantastic Four. I have been for a while and I, I think I am going to watch it because I just want to see just how wrong things can go. I I think it really illustrates how, and it's happening all the time where you've got these directors that are young and, and hungry and they get this big movie and it's just too much. Cause I, I always think about that. Like how the fuck would this guy who's made this little indie movie and like, yeah, it was really, it was really good and stuff. But like, how do you go from making a $5 million movie to like a $200 million? This is happening a lot lately though. Yeah. Like Like Gareth Edwards got, Went from Monsters to Godzilla. And now he's doing a Star Wars movie. And then, like, um, what's the other guy? There was another guy who recently... The guy who did Jurassic World. Right. He had made, like, a really 
low budget movie before that too. I can't remember what the movie that, was. Uh, safety not guaranteed. Yeah, I think. safety yeah. not guaranteed. Yeah. So like all these guys who have made like just these small movies for like under ten million dollars are being handed like two hundred million dollars to make a movie. It just seems kind of very bizarre. Yeah, like I'm not a fan of it. Like I really like like directors. Like I who, like James Gunn. Like James, but he's been around, right? Yeah. Like James Gunn doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, like no one really knew who he was, but we know that the guy's paid his dues for a long time. He's been on a film set. He kind of knows what's going well, yeah, on. He paid his dues with Dawn of the Dead 2004. Yeah, with like Scooby Doo and he, Slither. And he went up to bigger budgeted stuff. Yeah. Like, but just being slammed from like a a little movie to a big budget one. Like I'm really curious about the guy that's doing the. Um, Star Wars, I think he's doing the, the Star Wars sequel, not Rogue One, but the next one. I can't remember what his name is, but he hasn't really done a lot. Now, he seems like he's going to do a lot better job. Like, he just seems a lot more grounded. But I could see someone, like, if you weren't ready for it and then got thrown into this, fuck, how much, how stressful would that be, too, right? Like, being in charge of, like, all these people. Like, I don't know, man. Like, if you're not, like, pretty organized and know what you're doing, like, it would be pretty intense. And I can see how people can go off the rails like this. Well, that might be why Fantastic Four did. It's too bad, though, because I think there was a lot of potential with this guy. And now we're probably we may may never see another movie from him. And it's a real shame. I'm also really curious about Max Landis's follow up uh, American Ultra. Right. Because it kind of like came and went in theaters and he kind of tweeted about it, too. Like, did he direct it? He wrote it. Yeah. But he's been, he was very opinionated about how people were stupid for not going to see it, kind of. Right. And, you know, that's not what you do. No, it's not I a mean, good... And I, that movie got pretty good yeah. reviews for the most part. So it's just like it didn't find an audience. And I can kind of see why it didn't find an audience, to be honest with you. But you shouldn't be going on Twitter or whatever and calling people names because they didn't go see your movie you're right because it turned me off because when i saw the previews for um your i remember all this now when i saw the previews i was kind of interested and then i heard about landis doing that and i was like fuck i don't fuck you then i'll watch it on netflix like i don't even want to give you it really turned me off of him yeah because and i think he's probably i think he's a really talented right he's also a real up-and-comer and he's john landis's son for god's sake of course he's yeah. got good cool ideas probably but it, you know, be acting like that's really gonna turn me off, and so it's, yeah, I just find this whole thing quite tragic. Like I'm not making fun of Josh Trank. I just think it's kind of sad, and I but I don't really even think it's his fault. Like I, you know, I mean, but he could do like the Saulnier route and and go like and make smaller movies and like build up his skill set before just jumping at the next thing, right? Yeah. And you know, I think he was just in this like there was this frenzy about Chronicle because it was it was I think it was a bit of a hit you know, for what it was. And I think there was just this like studio buying up frenzy and he just got caught up in it and said, yeah, fuck, I'll do a fantastic four. And then was in wake in over his head. And it's just, I, I think, you know, people need to, you know, get a little more seasoned, I think, before taking on these giant movies, even Joss Whedon, I think had a bit of trouble with like Avengers, which was a, you know, and he's again, been around the block, but just, Having that, I don't know if there's anything to what I just said, sorry, but I just, you know, it just feels like, you know, all of a sudden having a $200 million budget would fuck with anyone's head, I think, and make well, anyone a little paranoid. Well, yeah, like, you give a guy like um, like him this huge budget like that, but then you have a guy like Neil Marshall yeah, who has proven he can handle, you know, 
action scenes and all this. He does lots of Game of Thrones now yeah. and everything. And he he can do this stuff, but he can't get a budget to make. Yeah. He doesn't get these kind of budgets to make his movies. And I feel like he would be able to handle a lot better than these young kids. Yeah. I mean, I think Hollywood do, would do a lot better if they just like... Where it's, yeah, looking for more of, like, the pros to be taking on these big movies and letting these young guys, like, cut their teeth a little more. Like, yeah, I think TV is a great place to do it. That's really cool that you brought that up, actually, because I think Neil Marshall is – that that's exactly what he's doing. Like, helming Game of Thrones is probably really beefing up his skill set. He's got these huge action scenes, yep. and the thing's really popular, and there's there is big budgets there, but they're not huge budgets. But he can probably, you know, I mean, yeah, Marshall's done some cool stuff, but he'd be ready now to do one of these big movies. Why not let him do it instead yeah. of someone like this? Neil like, Marshall should do the next Bond movie, by the way. Like the thing about <laughs> him is he's done cool movies to people like us. Yeah. But he hasn't had the opportunity to do anything mainstream till Game of Thrones. Yeah. So maybe like he is using this as a, a launching pad to doing more big studio movies. And I hope that happens. And it's a quiet way for him to do that. Without it, because you know people don't really notice TV directors a lot, right? Like yeah. you're not like we notice film directors. So it's a great place where he can like beef up his skills, right? Without really risking making the next big thing, because people are going to be judging his next movie, obviously. Yeah. But if he's doing a couple episodes of Game of Thrones, it's not really even going to be noticed. Well, the people who are going to notice are the people who Should, are producing yeah. the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So you know that's more important. Yeah. Than what an audience notices, really, if you're trying to advance in the industry. Totally. So. Anyway, moral of the story, I feel bad for Josh Trank, but he did give us Chronicle, which is a great flick and worth checking out. Okay, so what's your other uh, film footage? I've got a few here. you got more than two film footage? Three. <laughs> well, how about you do your next one, then I'll jump in with mine, and we'll end with your third one. Okay. Okay. So my next one is VHS. Oh, yeah, I have this at home, too, and From- I haven't watched it. <laughs> from 2012 so this is a found footage anthology movie now traditionally i don't really i don't really like anthology movies a lot i I like them more than you i think i know you do like there's a few that i enjoy like i like creep show and i like uh twilight zone and but i just find a lot of them in this one included but not not so much with this one but i'll get to that in a sec but i just find a lot of them i just um you know i really like like one or two of the stories and then the other three i'm just like oh this is filler and i'm bored yeah i I tend to like the 70s ones more than anything like yeah. the amicus ones and stuff like that like yeah, and i haven't seen a lot of those i really love the 72 tales from the crypt like yeah. that's my favorite anthology movie of all time and none of the stories are dogs in that yeah but that's very rare you're right it's very rare it's, it's kind of almost like watching like a lot of the anthology tv shows i find the same thing like you'll get like every 10 episodes you'll get a really good tales from the crypt and then the rest you know the, then there'll be like four or five that really kind of suck and then there'll be a few mediocre ones well yeah that's like me i'm watching the um tales from the dark side series right now yeah and that's exactly what it is it's like now it's like it seems like only every fourth episode every fourth or fifth episode is really good yeah and then the ones in between i'm just kind of like more intrigued by like who's in the episodes than the actual episodes like the last episode i watched was carol kane and bud court you know and i'm like oh sweet bud court from harold and maude you know i'm more into that than i am in the actual story yeah that's why i I love test 70 tv you know that and a lot of it is because of that but um yeah like and that's exactly how i feel about found um uh anthology films like i just feel like it's like watching five episodes of x anthology series without a break and and you know some of them are going to be not so good and then you're yeah. kind of like 
bored and like, okay, fuck, let's let this one end so I can get to the next one, which hopefully will be better. And I feel like it's always like a rolling the dice every time the next one starts. Where at least, at least if I'm watching a full movie, at least I know it's you know it's either going to suck or be good the whole time. <laughs> well, and the problem with anthologies too is like if your movie is not structured right, like if you start off with like one or two not very good stories and then end it with like your your wham bam one by the time you get to that i get to that wham bam one i'm not really going to care that much because yeah. you've dulled my senses with two kind of not so good stories so i find that's always a, a kind of like a hit or miss thing for anthology movies too totally and we're going to do an anthology episode and like a lot of the times too with anthology movies it's like i'll do it like you know it'll be like you know buying a cd or buying a record you know sometimes you'll just go to the song you like yeah you know and sometimes i'll just throw on creep show and i'll watch like something to tide you over because that's like the one i really like yeah at any given moment but i won't necessarily watch the whole movie anyway holy fucking like off topic well not really off topic but off vhs topic yeah so let's talk about vhs because i have parts one and two at home and i haven't watched either one yeah so the premise here is it's found footage vhs tapes so um, there's a wraparound story, so which is common with anthologies. Um, the wraparound story is directed by Adam Wingard. Um, have to say, I was a little disappointed with the wraparound story um, because it was Adam Wingard, and because I've loved his two features that I've seen so far, um, the guest and your next. That I was really had high hopes for. And Adam. I even liked his uh, contribution to ABCs of Death. Q is for quack. Let's not go there with ABCs of Death right now. Well, which one did he do again? Q is for quack. It's the one where he played himself and Simon Barrett played themselves, and they were trying to like, oh, the producers gave us the letter Q. What are we going to come up with? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they decided to like make a movie about them like, we're going to shoot this duck. Yeah. That yeah, was pretty hilarious. Yeah. But um, anyway, I, have a, I had high hopes for Wingard's story here, and I found it to be, frankly, the weakest of the whole movie. Um, but it did keep coming back over and over. And, and his thing was like, it was this group of like kind of th- like um, amateur criminal criminals, like hooligans, I called them. And they're just going around like, you know, doing doing bad shit. They like assault this girl and like take her shirt off. And then they like go to this house and like smash shit up. And then they um, then they decide they're going to like break into this house to find this some sort of VHS tape that's worth a bunch of money. So they break into this house and then it's all creepy in the house and they find this dead guy and then they're just sort of searching around the house and that's kind of his thing. And um, yeah, it, it had a few kind of creepy moments, but it kept cutting back to this because it was the wraparound. So what happens is as they're looking for this VHS tape, they some of them are finding these other VHS tapes and checking them out. So the first story that comes along after the wraparound is... Um, this was actually a pretty cool one. It was about a, it was about three uh, like college guys, and one of them has like a pair of eyeglasses that have a hidden camera in them, and they're they're pretty much going out to like find girls and bring them back to their hotel room so they can have their way with them. And um, they they bring these two girls back, <laughs> and one of them, um, spoiler alert, but she kind of turns into a bit of a monster. And this one was really, really good. I really enjoyed this. I was like super into it the whole time, and and you know because it was following this one character who had these eye, this eyeglass camera, and then just when shit starts going down in the room, it just it was really, really quite effective. So I really, really enjoyed that one. 
Um, that was directed by uh, David Bruckner, who uh, did a movie called The Signal, which I haven't seen. I have that at home and haven't watched it, too. <laughs> this is a trend with me. We could do an episode on movies Chris has at home that hasn't watched. Dude, that would be a long-ass yeah. episode. Okay, so the next one um, was directed by Ty West, who's a um, very popular um, indie filmmaker these days. He did... Uh, um, the Sacrament and House of the Devil and, and the Innkeepers, the Innkeepers, yeah. and very quite popular. The only movie I've seen of his is The Roost. I haven't seen The Roost. Yeah, I always seen Cabin Fever too. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, so his is about um, it's a vacation video by this couple, and it's just showing what happens when they're on their vacation, and uh, the, um, they're in a hotel room, and um, there's this weird knock on the door in the middle of the night one night, and. Uh, some girls like asking them for a ride or something and it just sort of goes from there and uh it's it's it has a few moments um i i enjoyed it while i was watching it it wasn't my favorite of them them all but it didn't suck either it was just sort of it was it was pretty good but it wasn't wasn't nearly as good as the first one i really really liked the first one the next one was um directed by uh, glenn mcquade who's um, involved with um, Larry Fessenden. Um, I can't remember what his company is. Glass Eye Picks. Glass Eye Picks, yeah. And uh, he directed, like, I Sell the Dead. And he's, he, I think he does a lot of writing for Fessenden. Um, and this one's about... Um, this was this one had a, a group of four um, youth going out to this uh, lake. And um, and it was a lake where some someone had got murdered years before. And so it's kind of sort of haunted and um again i this was i thought this was actually the weak link in it's this. know the raft from creep show it's too raft, that's <laughs> for sure yeah I, that was probably my least favorite of the of the anthology um and then the last one is directed by uh, joe swanberg he's um kind of a, one of those mumblecore guys kind of like win wingard but he's but done i think he did drinking buddies and yeah. some other movies like that he did uh fatal exposures i think it's called he's which done is a shit ton which of is like an indie movie that actually stars adam wingard right yeah, yeah. i think it's called fatal exposures yeah or, or 24 f- exposures or something, something like that something like that yeah, yeah. um so this one's about um, it's 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 a girl. It, the whole movie is is a Skype conversation or a series of Skype conversations, and it's um, pretty much what what like the boyfriend of this girl is seeing when when he's watching his girlfriend on Skype, and it's kind of a haunted apartment. So it's like thing. unfriended. I haven't seen unfriended yet, but it sounds similar. Yeah, it's all just her calling her boyfriend and like things happening in her apartment with and a hauntings involved. And uh, it's it's it was quite good. This was probably my second favorite. And uh, you see her boobs, which was always always <laughs> a nice thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, but I was I wondering mean, when boobs were going to come into play for you. Every episode, boobs come into play. That's true. I was just wondering when the moment was going to be. Yeah, I think every, <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, and there, sorry. Then there's one more. There, sorry, there is actually one more, um, and it's uh, uh, the last one. I didn't write down who's directed by because it's directed by a collective of people, and um, I didn't really understand that. I, th- I think they've directed like a movie. Uh, a so Devil's, kinda, Devil's Do. It's kind of like Devil, a, is Devil's Do the found footage one? Yes, they directed that too. It's kind of like the Astron Six guys. Kind of like the Astron Six yeah, guys. Okay. And that one is about um, a, a group of guys, and they they're out, out on Halloween, and they're going to this, they want to go to this haunt, this haunted like this home haunt, and they go around in the haunted house, and there's like, um, well, it's pretty much like a almost like a sacrifice going on in the house, and what happens there, and that was pretty effective too. But so overall, like I mean, the the one about the Skype, and the one the definitely the one about the the eyeglass camera were like really really good. And the other ones were all the other ones were pretty good. Like 
So like the whole movie, I was engaged throughout. Like never in this movie was I like, oh fuck, when's this next? When's the next story coming? Like I am in some okay. of these anthology movies. I felt pretty engaged throughout, and considering that it was almost two hours, that was quite the feat. I thought for an anthology movie, especially a found footage one. So I really liked this. I thought this was really well done, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the sequel because um, it's also I think Wingard comes back in the sequel, does another one, and. I think uh, Ty West might as well, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the others in this series. Um, but this one's definitely worth checking out, in particular for those two stories. But the whole thing was pretty good, so just try and uh, stay with it if you're kind of bored through any of them. That's is a uh, funny thing about the VHS movies is I got both of them on Blu-ray for under five bucks. Nice. So I should maybe crank them out because you know. Like you said, we could do an episode of movies I have that haven't watched and we'd be here all night. <laughs> um, let's go from two recommended found footage movies. Yeah, to definitely. To one that I don't recommend that I watched. I've seen this one too. Yeah, yeah you can talk about this because you've watched two. I watched Apollo 18 finally. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of like a film footage movie in space. Yeah. Because it's about like a another mission that the U.S. government took to space, Apollo 18, that they never documented anywhere. So this was like the footage from this top secret mission. And yeah. the basic of this movie is they go out to the moon again. And when they're there, they come across something very strange. And it turns out to be, and I'm not shitting you on this, fucking alien monsters disguised as rocks. Were they? So stupid. <laughs> so stupid. I don't remember a lot of them. Yeah, they movie. were like disguised as rocks. <laughs> so like the guy he got, like fell into this pit and he got like this rock embedded in him and it was a fucking alien monster it took over his body. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually didn't mind the monster stuff admittedly. Like I thought it was okay. The like the concept of the monsters was kind of dumb. Yeah. But the actual f- footage of near like the last 20 minutes of this are pretty effective for the most part. Like you know the monster stuff is pretty cool. You know I didn't really hate it. It's just it's a slog to get there, man. Like, the first hour of this movie was such a drag. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, how many times can I see these fucking actors floating around in their little <laughs> space capsule talking about pointless shit? Well, doesn't it end up where happens? two of them are, like, stranded on the moon? Yeah, and they the end other up stranded up there. The, up in the yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like it's kind of like gravity, only with alien rock monsters. Yeah, which <laughs> neither of us have seen yet. Yeah, so... <laughs> but, um... I didn't really care for it that much. Like that, that last 20 minutes really worked for me. This is the kind of movie that would probably fit well in your VHS anthology film footage. Thing. Yeah. It'd be good. Cause if they quick, tightened it up, yeah. made it like half an hour, it would have been really, really pretty good, but it's just too much, you know, conjecture to actually get to the, the horror elements. And it just made me bored to be honest. Well, it's really too bad. Cause a, I don't remember anything, which is never a good sign. No. Um, now, yeah, I'm getting older, but still, like, if it's a good fucking movie, I remember it. And B, it, it was a really cool concept. And it's too bad that I don't remember it because this is, should be one that I'm like, whoa, that was such a cool movie because what a cool concept to have, like, a moon landing be, like, a found footage monster movie. Like, what a cool idea. And well, I know. That's what I was like going in. I was like, yeah. oh, this might be okay. But then I was like, kind of bored and like twiddling my thumbs being like what the hell's going on like you know it's not a good sign when i pick up my phone and like go on to imdb to look at the user reviews while i'm watching the movie <laughs> so I, the monster stuff was cool this would have worked as a segment yeah more than an actual full-length movie i yeah. think so 
not recommended. Fair enough. Let's go to your last... Shot here. Was it shot I, here? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Let's go to your last uh, film footage. My last of the found footage trifecta. Man, this is almost like a film footage episode the way we're going. <laughs> Exists. Oh, you saw it, eh? Yeah, from I'm, 2014. I'm kind of excited about this one. You should be, dude. Yeah, really good? So directed by Eduardo Sanchez, um, who did uh, Blair Witch Project. Yep. Um, he's also directed Altered and uh, Seventh Moon, among others. I have both of those at home, and I haven't Molly. watched them yet. <laughs> High five! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is Sanchez's Bigfoot movie. Yeah. And this is this is better than Willow Creek. Yeah, particularly <laughs> after watching Willow Creek, this is the fucking Bigfoot movie I wanted to see. Yeah. And this also made me kind of feel like Bigfoot was kind of made for found footage. Well, yeah. Like, like Legend of Boggy Creek, man. I thought it really worked well in this movie. Um, this is written by Jamie Nash, who's a, f- a frequent collaborator with Sanchez. Um, he's they've I think uh, I think Nash has uh, pretty much written or co-written every movie Sanchez has made since Blair Witch I think um, the, the the Sasquatch suit was was cool it was no Harry and the Hendersons it was like a pretty scary looking monster um, I thought there was some great scares like there was one scene in particular like where like you know there was a bunch of smoke and the Sasquatch just like burst through the smoke and I, even I was like whoa like <laughs> and it, it's just it's 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 a tight little thing it's it's um I I was pretty stressed out through most of the movie because like the thing's just like coming at them and like banging on the door and smashing through shit and and it's it's menacing and strong and 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 you just don't know what's gonna happen. Um, I really, really like this movie. Like, fuck Willow Creek now. Like, sorry, Bobcat, but I mean, I, I did. I thought Willow Creek was okay. I but, thought it was flawed. But now that I've seen this, like, it's like, okay, that that sucked. Like, this is the, you know, this is this is what I wanted. This is what I wanted out of a Bigfoot movie. So very excited about this one. Um, there were a few. I do have a few complaints. I mean, the characters in this are really stupid. Like, really stupid. So, so I, what, I, what's the premise of the movie? So yeah, sorry. They um, it's just they they they're this group of uh, I guess around around twenty college age. They're going to this guy's um, one of them has an uncle who owns this like abandoned cabin. So they go up to this cabin for like a vacation or whatever. And um, anyway, it turns out have that, these people not seen horror movies? Yeah, I you know. should know you don't go to an abandoned cabin. Yeah. So it turns out that the uncle didn't know that they took... So they're, like, out there and they're stranded. So, like, no one knows they're there, basically. But, I mean, okay. So, like, they drive up. First first thing that happens when they drive up is that the... Um, there's a, like, tree across the road. So having seen lots of horror movies, that would be my first indication to fucking get the fuck out. Because <laughs> there's a tree across the road that's preventing you from go driving any further. So I would be like, okay, I'm out of here. Yeah, it's kind of like the people who go to the Amityville house. Get out. And you're like, I'm fucking out. See <laughs> exactly. <ya." laughs> so then they go to the cabin and like, it's like dirty and like, they they like they hear this noise in one of the rooms, so they open the door and there's like a pig in there, like the like a feral pig that had just sort of made its home in this cabin, and and it's filthy and and there's no nothing and you know so again I'd be like 
like I would immediately, if it was me, I would have immediately been like, fuck this. This is stupid. Let's go to a hotel. I'm I'm going to assume there isn't a cleaning the cabin montage. There is to no. The, to no. the tune of, you got to put one foot in front of the other. Like Revenge of the Nerds, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was uh, hoping. I was hoping. No, there, <laughs> there is no cleaning the cabin montage, and I was actually kind of horrified there wasn't because it's like it's so filthy. And then the next scene, they're they're all sleeping. It's like, well, what are you you're sleeping on that shit? Gross. <laughs> so no, it's really gross. So I just and like especially because it's like these two girls are with them, and they clearly don't want to be there. Like I just don't understand like why they just wouldn't have left. And then, you know, it just gets from there. It just, you know, they there's just stupid decision after stupid decision. Um, so, like, I did have a bit of a problem with that because I do like my characters to be a little smarter. And, like, the, one of the main dudes is this black guy named Todd. Okay, first of all, I don't trust anyone named Todd. <laughs> okay? And I Why? really don't trust a black guy named Todd. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? Why don't you trust people called Todd? Oh, I guess Todd Bridges. Um... I don't, I just, I just, I just, Todd's in my life. I just, I don't know. It just, it just seems like that type of person you don't trust. Sorry. And you don't trust black people, which I, makes you racist. No, I, I <laughs> no, no, I didn't say anything about that. No, I'm just playing with you. I just, it was just weird. I just don't know a lot of black guys named Todd. Anyway, um, but. Bridges. Bridges. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just don't like, yeah. People that I know that's, that are named Todd. There's a few in particular through my life that have kind of ruined the name Todd for me. Anyway, I, I just, I, this, this character just again, like kind of stupid thing after stupid thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of with him a little bit, but then like one part, he just like, he kind of loses it or whatever. Cause he's like, you know, so stressed and he just loses it. And he like jumps up on this, like, like jumps out into the open and starts screaming at Bigfoot, where are you at? Where are you at? Right? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you've been pretty intelligent through the whole movie. Like, why now are you, like, talking like that? Like, it, it was just so weird. Like, oh, like they made him talk like a, like a stereotypical black guy? Yeah, like, for no reason. And I'm like... And he wasn't he wasn't being like that like huh. and like his just his language just changed to this it really kind of took me out of it I'm like what the fuck like why would he why would he talk like that why would he be yelling where are you at to Bigfoot like who well, does why that? why would Jennifer Love Hewitt be yelling come get me and I know what you did last summer People yeah but do at least she wasn't shit in like horror movies. fucking going come get you you know like yo come get me or something like that was you know like it, she she didn't change her whole style of come speaking. get me Bigfoot I pop a cat. Yeah, like that's exactly what it would be like. It would have been like, if, well, Brandy was kind of doing that in that movie, wasn't she? But I, I guess. Anyway, um, anyway, that that really kind of, I really was a bit, a bit like, what the fuck? So there, there was these moments like this with the characters where I'm like, really? Like, don't, no, don't do that. <laughs> and one of them was a real stoner guy. And like, again, just doing really stupid shit. And I know he's a stoner and stoners are stupid. Sorry, they're not all stupid, but, you know, they can do stupid shit. But, like, the stuff this guy was doing was just, like, over-the-top stupid. So, character-wise, these guys were dumbasses. But, still, I just sort of went with it. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm with a bunch of dumbasses that like dirty cabins. And that's that's <laughs> what I'm going to go with. So, it's, once I was sort of okay with going with that, 
it it worked out well. But if you don't if you don't like really stupid characters, was, it could really wreck this. I movie was gonna book. say you had me sold on the movie till you started talking about the characters. And I then just I, I had to like... talk about the characters because they're so stupid. Like there's one of them that's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. He's the guy that rides the bike, but he uh, he's kind of in and out of the movie. He's not like mm. he's not with them throughout like the rest of them like Todd um, and the stoner those are the two guys you kind of have to be with the whole movie and they were neither of them were but it's it's all about Bigfoot man like that's why you're watching this movie and in that way it totally delivers so if you're looking for a Bigfoot movie I'd absolutely recommend this movie okay yeah fair enough do I have anything wait yeah Hmm? stupid characters yeah, got it. Okay. You got it? Yeah. Okay. How many you got left? I have three. So I have three, too, but I'm going to hit two of them at once. Okay. Because I'm going to hit two big studio horror movies from the last couple of years that I watched. Ooh. One that I actually thought was pretty good and one that I don't know why it exists. So the one that I don't know why it exists is a movie called Annabelle. Oh. Which is a, uh, a spinoff of The Conjuring. Why did you watch that? Library. Okay. <laughs> um, so The Conjuring, I really liked The Conjuring. I thought it was well done. I thought it was old school feeling, 70s feeling, had some good scares in it and stuff like that. So they decided to spin off because in the movie, uh, the main characters, the Warrens, played by uh, Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, have this creepy looking doll called Annabelle in their curio right. room. They decide to spin off this this doll into its own movie. So it's kind of about the history of the doll. But it's like this movie came out in theaters. And when I'm watching it, I'm like, this feels like a direct-to-video movie. Okay. Like there's nothing to distinguish its wh- itself from anything here. Like the budget feels lower than The Conjuring. The actors, I didn't have any idea who they were when I was watching it. I didn't even bother looking them up because they made no impression on me. Wow. And, and you know, it was like they tried to cross Rosemary's Baby with Killer Doll movie because, like, the main character who has the doll is pregnant and they do, like, kind of Rosemary's Baby, like, oh, ominous things about pregnant that. girl movies. And then the <laughs> doll's also there kind of harassing them. And, you know... It might have worked in smaller doses in The Conjuring, this Annabelle doll, but here it just feels pointless, and there's just no suspense, and it it was just kind of... Is that the doll at the beginning of The Conjuring? Yeah, like the one they have in the display glass display case. Like where those two girls are in their apartment? Yeah, I think so, yeah. The, like, prologue in The Conjuring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's like, it worked in The Conjuring in small doses. In this movie, it doesn't work. Hmm. I was just kind of like, it's one of those movies you watch it and then when it's over, you kind of just shrug. So that's, you know, it wasn't great. Yeah, I've, 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 it's one of those ones that if it shows up on Netflix, I know I'm going to get sucked in one night, but... Yeah, it's, but, it's, it's not worth it, dude. Yeah, I know. The other movie I watched was from this year and it was a movie called The Boy, which is also a killer doll movie. Which one? Not the one with Rain Wilson. This is the 2016 one with... Um, What's her name? What's her name? Lauren Cohen. Lauren Cohen from Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she plays Maggie in The Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, This is directed by William Brent Bell. So automatically, I was like, I don't know about this movie. Because he directed The Devil Inside, which is a film footage movie from a couple years ago, which was apparently terrible. And he directed the video game horror movie Stay Alive, which I hated. So I was like, okay. I, I was like, okay, well, I'm getting this from the library. 
on the other on other podcasts I listen to where I kind of trust the people, they've said they they didn't mind it. They thought it was pretty good. So I'm like, I'm gonna give this a chance, right? So Lauren Cohen plays an American who goes to this like mansion in England, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, and she meets this old couple who have hired her to be a nanny. Yeah. So, you know, she's there thinking she's going to look after a child. It's going to be easy or whatever. It turns out that their kid is a grief doll. Yeah. So their real child passed away, and they've been dealing with this grief doll, you know, in the meantime and treating it so like... Is grief doll a thing? It is a thing. Okay. Um, it's just... It's a way for adults who have lost children to kind of deal with that by... You know, they kind of treat the doll like it's still their child and, you know, they don't go into it that much in this movie. But it's but a real thing. It's a real thing. Okay. So she's kind of like, you know, what the fuck? I, they, they're paying me to look after this doll? And of course there's like, you know, supernatural undertones to this. Like the doll is kind of evil and, you know, she keeps, she starts seeing things and she's left alone in the house with this doll and she realizes that if she doesn't follow these rules, then things are going to happen that Mm. she doesn't want to happen, right? And, you know, I honestly thought that the concept was pretty cool. The doll was creepy because it's just this white-faced doll, and it's like she always hears, like, this British, small British boy's voice all the time, which is representing the doll. And I'm like, okay, this is somewhat creepy. Oh, you're losing me fast, dude. I said it's somewhat... (laughs) No, it's somewhat creepy, but it's a little bit slow. But then, I got to tell you, it has it's formulaic, totally formulaic. Nothing really that different. There's a twist in the last third, which I didn't see coming, and I really started to like the movie a lot more. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Yeah, don't. But it takes the movie from being a killer doll movie into something entirely different. Okay. And it worked for me. And I thought this was an entertaining movie. It was better than I was expecting. I'm not saying rush out and see the boy. If you can see it how I saw it, like streaming or from the library or something, then by all means, check it out. But it was kind of fun, I got to admit. And, you know, the concept is cool. Like, I don't know what. It's just like you're watching the movie and you're you're kind of in the headset of that main character. You're like, these people are fucking nuts. Yeah. But then when she's left in the house alone with it, you're kind of like, wouldn't she just leave? It's kind of like you're existing, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a doll. I mean, I guess the paycheck's good enough to keep her there, right? But there is a twist in it that makes it worthwhile. Okay. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, both of these movies, I'm kind of torn. Like, both the boys. Because, like, this one, yeah. I like Lauren Cohen. And I'm kind of curious, especially She's now. She's pretty from, good in this. Yeah. And now from what you said, I'm kind of curious about it. Um, and then the other one. The, the Rain Wilson one. Totally not interested, except Rain Wilson and David Morse are in it. Right. Who I both really like. So... Both of these, I'm kind of curious, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like either of them. I'm going to assume that the boy with Rain Wilson, the one that came out the year before this, is actually the better of the two movies. Oh, okay. Because I think it's more art house flavored. Yeah. Whereas this is just the standard formula Hollywood horror movie that happens to have a decent twist. Right. So okay. take from that what you will. For sure. It was entertaining. That's yeah. all you need to know. All right. Okay. Would it would it have been entertaining without the twist though? I don't think so. Okay. I think it would have got really boring without the twist. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. But I didn't see the twist coming, so that's something right there. Great. Yeah. Cool. The last movie I'm gonna talk about, I did see the twist coming, but we'll get to that after you tell us what your next one is. Okay. My next one is called Random Acts of Violence. Oh, okay. From twenty twelve. AKA Charm. 
Isn't this a uh, a Dollarama special? So Random Acts of Violence, this is funny, because Random Acts of Violence is a Dollarama special, which I yep. bought. I also had the movie Charm bookmarked on Netflix, and I also had the movie Charm in my Amazon like shopping cart, and it's the same not movie. knowing it was the same movie. Huh. So thank God I watched this and put this all together. Um, so this is a movie about... Okay. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> this movie is a complete fucking ripoff of Man Bites Dog. Yeah, I'm, I was sensing a rant coming on when you looked at me just now. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. But it's like, okay, so first of all, it's a complete ripoff of Man Bites Dog. So if you haven't seen Man Bites, have you seen Man Bites Dog? I have. So Man Bites Dog is a, is a movie from uh, the early 90s, I think. Yeah, like 92 or 93. Yeah, it's a French movie, and it's a film crew following a... Yeah, it's like a found footage movie. Serial killer. Yeah, yeah. it's like a found footage movie. Yeah, it's really good. It's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this movie is very, very similar to Man Bites Dog. So this stars a guy named Ashley Cahill. He wrote, directed, starred, produced, and edited this movie. That's a bad sign right there. So when you put too many hats on your head, it usually doesn't work out. No, no. Don't, okay. don't jump the gun. Okay, I'm just saying. It usually doesn't. It was actually a pretty fun movie. Really? Okay. I actually quite enjoyed it. Okay. But it was kind of like... Have you ever seen a Whit Stillman movie like Metropolitan or Barcelona or The Last Days of Disco? Any of those ring a bell? So Whit Stillman, he was a popular director around the same time as Man Bites Dog. Um, and, he, you know, he had these real kind of like upper class, yuppie New York types, you know, like that's kind of like, you know, those real hoity toity, like yeah. intelligent People that like you know walk around being all pretentious that are like young that are in their early twenties. You, you know, have you any gray poupon? Yeah, like very just. Oh, I'm so I'm yeah. we're better than everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those kind of people, and talking about like you know smart shit. So that's what Wood Stillman's movies like. And then we've got Man by Stock. So I kind of feel like this is like a cross between the two. It's like the characters of a Wood Stillman movie in Man by Stock. So you got like pretentious yuppie types. But one of them happens to be a serial killer. And then you've got a film crew following this guy around. So, like, they're going around and there's, like, you know, it's cutting between him hanging out with his friends. And, like, for example, there's one there's one scene where they're in a uh, cafe and they start talking about film. And they're talking about, like, I can't remember. Fuck. I can't remember who the actor was. But they were, like, talking, oh, Clint Eastwood. And they're talking about Clint Eastwood movies. And, you know, it's all kind of pretentious. And <laughs> and um, then the next thing you know, he's, like, killing someone. So it's kind of a cool mix. And I kind of don't mind with Stillman movies, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. um, it's just, I don't know if this would appeal to everyone. Because it's, like, it's, like, not the most likable characters. One of them is actually played by James DeBello, who was in uh, Cabin Fever, and he was in Detroit Rock... Was he in Cabin Fever? He was in Detroit Rock City, for sure. He was, like, the guy with the long hair, yeah. the kind of dumb one. He's, he's in a lot of indie stuff, and he's one of the friends. And But the main guy is this guy, um, and he's just, like, a real, like... You know, he just doesn't really like people and stuff, and... Uh, and um, 
it's just sort of following him around as he's like going off about like you know what's wrong with Brooklyn and you know how like it's getting gentrified blah 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 and the next thing you know he's killing someone so he's like trying to like almost kill like the hipsters to like save Brooklyn or something it sounds like it's got traces of American Psycho in it too. yeah it's so it was really kind of interesting and I actually this guy was like British and I was like oh god this guy's super annoying but he kind of grew on me as the movie was going on and I actually quite liked it i was i was again it's one of these movies where i wasn't really expecting much i was almost going to turn it off and then i stayed with it and i actually quite enjoyed it i thought it was pretty good but that being said it was a direct like just such a ripoff of man bites dog it wasn't even funny so i just um don't know how i feel about that and it's just been a long time since i've seen the other one so i wasn't really mad about it but just people should know this especially if you're a fan of man bites dog um, it also sort of um, implies that Kirsten Dunst is is a main main character. She is not. She's in it for like literally two seconds, hmm. maybe no, maybe like thirty seconds, but it's a tiny, tiny cameo. Um, I anyway, it was enough to make me kind of curious about what this Cahill guy's gonna do next. He's done a bunch of music videos. He did one for Matt Trek, and he's done some other ones. And uh, he's got a new movie com- coming out called Skin Deep. I watched the trailer, the like teaser. Looks pretty interesting. So I'm, I'm I will check out other movies by this guy. But yeah, just I guess the you know be beware that this is random acts of violence and charm are the exact same movie. And uh, I I totally didn't know that. Am I going to go on and talk about yep. another one? Keep, right. keep going. You've got two left, right? Okay. I've got one left, so. Um, yeah, I have two left. Okay, the next one I'm going to talk about is called Savage Weekend. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Chris. Canon Films. Yeah, so Chris and I were doing an order from Kino um, <laughs> recently, and Chris is like, oh, you gotta, we got to get Savage Weekend, man. I didn't tell you to get it. I was getting it. So Chris got it, and me being competitive, I I also got it thinking oh well it's got a really cool cover it's like the skull with like it's really cool like skull it's a grim reaper skull yeah yeah so i'm like oh this looks really cool so i'll I'll get it too and um it's a weird movie dude this is from 1979 well okay so first of all after i just i'll I'll talk about the movie in a sec but fuck you because after i read the after i (laughs) after i watched this movie i went on to the video graveyard website and read chris's review and he gave it a fucking trash can (laughs) so what the hell are you doing buying on blu-ray in american funds a movie you gave a trash can to what were you thinking i don't know dumbass i was thinking hey it might not be as bad as i remember oh dude you're an addict that's all i have to say <laughs> anyway this is directed by david paulson who um <laughs> who, di- who hasn't really done a lot he, he directed schizo with uh I think Klaus, Klaus Kinski. Kinski. And then he went into like a bunch of, he did a bunch of primetime soaps like Dallas and Dynasty and shit. And then he like disappeared. Um, so, <laughs> this movie. So we've got like, okay, so it's like low budget. I thought it was regional horror, but it's not. It was shot in New York, not New York City, but New York State, like just like upstate New York. But Jersey. I, thought, I felt like this was shot in Kentucky or some shit. But it, no, it, this is like, proper actors are in this movie which totally shocked me but i wouldn't have known it when i first started this because it first it opens up with like okay first of all it's, it's got this weird like flashback sequence and it's got like william sanderson who was like in blade runner and i was thinking more of his performance in fight for your life which is a really like racist like like 
um, home invasion type movie where he's like this total like racist redneck prick. And as soon as I saw him on screen in this, I was like, okay, no, I'm not thinking Blade Runner at all. I'm thinking of that guy from the <laughs> racist redneck movie. And um, he like, there's this weird dream sequence and, and there's like a chainsaw involved and, it was just, I'm like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a nightmare. So then then we cut to, like, um, this, like, group of people in this apartment, and there's a little child there, and it turns out that and there's a really gay guy, and he's, he's, he's there, and then there's this woman and this child, and there's this, like, other woman, and then this, like, kind of, like, really, like, loserish-looking, like, businessman guy, and they're all planning on going on this trip because the businessman guy is actually a stockbroker and he bought a farm and they're going to go up to the farm to work on the guy's schooner that's like dry docked there. And they're going to, that, that's the premise. So they're going to go up to this farm to work on a fucking schooner. So again, I should have been like, what the hell am I watching this shit for? So then the, the like, then this girl's ex-husband comes into the apartment and it's like this super awkward scene where he's trying to like, bond with his child and anyway it was just really weird next thing you know we're going up to the farm and have you seen this movie yeah we gave it a trash can remember because you you don't remember anything clearly <laughs> i remember certain you're not things. Ch- chiming in at all here <laughs> i'm just i'm just going with the flow because i'm enjoying watching you get frustrated Fuck. okay so then we get to the farm and okay so Again. Isn't there a, I, I remember there being a lot of perversion in this movie. Okay, so they get to the farm, and again, like like exists, they get to the farm, and there's a fucking bat nailed to the door. Like, hello. Like, you pull the bat down, and you go in. What's yeah, the problem? Yeah, that's what these fucking guys do. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, if I went to a farm and there was a bat nailed to the door, I'd be the hell out of the door. No, you'd be like, dodge. hey, man, welcome, welcome. Yeah, bat on the door, William Sanderson It's a redneck welcome. Around. No. It's a, Okay, but before they get to the farm, okay, our our really flamboyantly gay character. This dude was. I remember this dude was so gay. This guy was. Really but he like gay? he like makes out with girls, doesn't he? No, he doesn't make out with girls. But he goes. So he's wearing like his little like short shorts, and his, doesn't he have and an ascot? Sorry, too, like I'm not homophobic at all. Like, but this was just really. It was just that really over the top eighties flamboyant game yeah, you was, just don't see anymore. Like you yeah, just, it was kind of like um, it's kind of like if you were to watch a Richard Simmons workout video, that over the top kind of game. Yeah, it was really like that. It was like that eighties like yeah, it, it, it was showing a gay character. It was basically yeah. what straight people considered gay characters to be in that the kind of stereotype yeah, in the eighties. Yeah. You see it in everything. You see it in Revenge of the Nerds, even and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a typical, st- like, typical, like, note, one note, homos- homosexual character. And yeah. it's, it's totally outrageously unrealistic. Yeah. So what makes it... Yeah. So we've got this gay character goes into this bar. And he... While the other ones are in the general store, he goes into the bar for some reason. And then he proceeds to, like, flirt with the bartender, but, like, not in, like, a... Like, not like he's really trying... He, it's like he's more like he's just trying to stir shit up. And he, like, orders a martini. And then he, like, goes and sits down. And then he, like, basically picks a fight with these two rednecks. 
Like, it's just super, like, out of place. Then he, like, beats them up, like, with, like, fucking kung fu moves. And it's just, like, completely <laughs> random. Like, and no reason for this at all. Like, and this movie is full of shit like this. And then, then it moves on to the, them getting to the farm. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what was that all about? And then I, like, look into this guy. The, the actor's name is Christopher Allport. And it was like, he's this guy's the fucking hero guy in the Jack Frost movies. Like 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 the, the killer snowman movie. Seriously, this is the like lead not gay guy. Wicked, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like like it, in this movie, it's just like scene after scene of like weird. Like why was like why did the guy that's completely flamboyantly gay go into the bar that was somehow connected to the general store and pick a fight with the rednecks for no reason and then shit kick them like there was just no reason like why didn't he just go in and drink his fucking martini and lick the glass like he already was or why didn't he just not go into the bar in the first place like what the fuck dude <sighs> he got some needs to okay. beat some dudes up then then we go back to, and then yeah i don't know like i don't know if he was getting off but anyway we go back to the the farm and then it's just okay so we've got our characters that i already described then they meet up with there's the stockbroker's friend who's this like really creepy like kind of like short kind of trolley looking businessman guy but he like and he had kind of longish hair and he really reminded me of this guy i used to work with so that was really adding to the whole atmosphere <laughs> but like okay so like we get a scene where like the sister of like the main girl goes sunbathing and she like gets naked and like lies down on the on her towel and just goes sunbathing in the middle of like a fucking grass field or something and then like creepy troll businessman long hair guy walks down to like where she is and he's like kind of spying on her and then he just walks up and just takes his clothes off and has <laughs> sex with her and it's like she's cool with it he's cool with it but the gay guy's not cool with it because what's the gay guy doing? You know what the gay guy doing is? He's fucking standing against a barbed wire fence watching them fuck. And then he like starts putting his hands on the fucking barbed wire. And he's like scraping his like 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 mutilating his hands on the barbed wire as, as the two are having sex. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. So is he gay? Like, why is he mad that they're having sex? And it, why, like, what's he doing with his hands? Like, why? Like, I just didn't understand. Like, I didn't understand. Okay. Oh, shit. No, no, no reason for this at all. So then that ends. Thank God. I mean, the girl was really hot. By the way, side note, the girl was played by Caitlin O'Heaney. And Caitlin O'Heaney was the star of like one of my most beloved 80s shows, Tales of the Gold Monkey. And I had like no idea. But this was the movie she made to, to I guess, get her SAG card. She says that in the interviews. She only did this movie to get her SAG card. But she's, like, naked throughout this movie. And I used to love her when I was a kid. I really... That show's been really tainted, though, because it also stars Stephen Collins. Do you know who Stephen Collins is? So Stephen Collins, he was pretty cool back then. But he's actually come out and on all these, like... He's, he's like, admitted to all this, like, you know, he's... um basically been a he's a pedophile basically so that show's really kind of tainted for me now anyway back to caitlin ohini yeah anyway she's in the whole movie and she's really she's really cute anyway so she's the the, the one that has sex with this creepy guy and while well, the gay guy watches and bleeds um so then we get to another scene with her and the gay guy where she they're in the house and then they put on music 
And then for some reason, she like starts stripping for him. And like she's, they're dancing around the house together and he, she's stripping for him. And then they start putting makeup on each other. Like it's, it, none of it makes any sense. And then through this all, we've got David Gale who played the like crazy doctor and reanimator. He's like this, like really kind of like studly handyman guy who's like got his shirt open the whole time, and he's like coming onto the married girl, like just all this really weird like stuff going on, like the whole movie. And William Sanderson's running around, and like you don't know what's going on, and none of it really makes any sense. And then it ends in this big chainsaw battle. <laughs> so I gotta say. I, it was pretty fucking entertaining, man. <laughs> Sounds pretty entertaining, <laughs> but holy shit, it's a bad movie. But um, but I I remember like the gay guy, like just the whole movie is like this enigma. Like, what's up with this guy? But they why go, did he cut himself on the fence? Don't they go work on this scooter and there's no water around? Yeah, it's dry docked. It's yeah. like in a barn. Like, why do they have? Well, this... there is a there. There's a lake or oh, a pond. Okay. A pond gonna work on my schooner yeah like it, there, why is the schooner there why why did the stock broker have to bring his creepy stock broker friend there to work on the schooner like was he really good with tools because you certainly didn't see him working on the oh, schooner he was good with his tool buddy. oh he was good with he his could tool. just walk out and be like i'll take my clothes off deal with it and oh she's he like was so weird she's like okay he was so weird he just walked around like a little troll and um this was also the first, um, the first, um, oh, Caitlin Ohini, by the way, she was also in He Knows You're Alone. She was a star and she was also in Three O'Clock High. She played the, the sexy teacher. Oh, okay. But um, this was also the screen debut of Yancey Butler, who we've talked about in the past with the Lake Placid movies. She played a little girl in this movie and she was only in the movie in, in this, in the uh, movie for like a few minutes when she played David Gale's, I think, stepdaughter. Like nothing in this movie you could be like, nailed i know exactly what that was <laughs> like nothing like there's nothing you're always like is is that girl like is she interested in there what like or like is that guy gay or is this guy the murderer or like did she die on the power saw like you just don't know anything so really bizarre really bizarre <laughs> um watch this movie with some beer and and friends i really wish i'd watch this with people but I didn't. I watched it alone, <laughs> sadly. Oh, boy. Well, so then. Savage Weekend. That's yeah. That's what that was sounds, sounds like it's recommended to me. I don't know, man. It chainsaw kinda, Battle. It kind No, the Chainsaw Battle blue. Okay. But if you're into seeing Caitlin O'Heaney naked, I'd say watch this okay. for sure. Um, if you're into see, if you're into like wondering what's up with. If you're into good um, movies, then don't bother. Well, if you're into good movies, definitely don't bother. But if you're into good movies, you probably shouldn't be listening to this fucking show in the first place. That's true. No, we talk about good movies sometimes. Yeah, we do. But this was a, kind of one of those. It was. It was. It, you know how we talk about like bad movies and like we hate it when they're like kind of made to be bad, like Birdemic and shit. Yeah. This is this is the classic. We so thought bad, we were making good. a good yeah, movie. They thought they were making a good movie, but it really is bad. This is like that, and it it actually kind of works. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, we got two more to go. Uh, I'm going to quickly talk about mine. I watched uh, Goodnight Mommy uh, from Aust- Australia, Austrian art film. No interest. From uh, 
the directing duo of Veronica Franz and Severin Fiava. Um, it's very starts off very David Lynchian. Because it's like it's about these two twin brothers called Lucas and Elias, and they were played by Lucas and Elias Schwartz, who are real life siblings. And this is their only movie, and they were actually really good in this. Hmm. And it opens with their mother coming home, being dropped off at the house, and she's got her head in bandages, and kind of very vague on everything that's going on. You know, it's got her being like kind of like hiding away in the bedroom with all the blinds down. It's got the boys beating each other up and just like being brats and that. But at the same time, they're always saying to, to their mom, they're like, you're not our mother. Prove you're our mother. Blah, blah, blah. All through, all through the movie. And it's very arty, very David Lynchian. Things don't make sense for a lot of it. There's like imagery that's in there that you're kind of like, what's going on here? You know, like a scene where the mother goes into the woods and takes off all her clothes and like takes the bandages off her head and does that whole shuddering ghost thing. But it's like a dream sequence, but it's really weird. Mm. And then the second half of the movie kind of has the twins kind of like taking control of the situation. And it kind of becomes like a torture movie in a way because they're like, they basically you know trap their mother in the house and say where's our real mother and it goes from there okay. i don't want to spoil too much because it's very you know it's a very arty movie it, it it takes a lot of concentration when you're watching even though the plot is basic um i liked it i didn't love it yeah like i thought it was i thought it was a really good looking film for like an uh i really like foreign horror movies because I feel like they bring something different to the table than what North America is bringing. Like they always have kind of a off kilter vibe to them for the most part. Yeah. Just because of the cultural differences and everything. And, um, this movie has that in spades. I mean, it's obvious that people who watch it have seen a lot of David Lynch movies. Right. So right away, if you're not into David Lynch, yeah, you probably won't be into, uh, into this movie. Um, there is a twist in it that everyone talks about. And I got to tell you, man, I knew this twist pretty early. You saw it coming? I, I, I knew what the twist was. And the thing is, like, I had said to my girlfriend, I think this is the twist. And she didn't see it, really. You so didn't she was, say that during the movie. I did. I did and oh, she, you jack. She got mad at me a little bit. No shit. But the thing is, when you knew, <laughs> once I knew what the twist was, I could see all the subtle things that the people who made it put into the movie that kind of tied into that twist you know what i mean like there was a lot of subtle stuff in this movie that if you're paying attention you're gonna know what the twist is okay so that's why i picked up on it it's the same thing with sixth sense i knew the twist of sixth sense within the first half an hour really yeah oh wow so it's like you know if you're looking for subtleties you can pick up on this and it didn't spoil my enjoyment of the movie knowing that just so you know i still thought it was a well done movie and i still would recommend it if you're into those arty kind of foreign horror movies not for everybody i'm gonna fully admit that to you it's a little bit weird it's a little bit slow but it's got enough going on visually and the second half is fair is pretty strong and it's got good performances so if you're into this kind of stuff then by all means see it if you can't handle what i just said skip it yeah but i'm into that shit man and i'm totally not interested in this why i don't know it had a really good trailer, but the trailer doesn't really tie in with how the movie actually plays out. Hmm. So I'll say that much. Huh. Maybe it's the kids. I don't know. You don't like kid movies. How old are they? Um, I think in the movie they're supposed to be 10 or 11. Hmm. 
So yeah, yeah. If you like arty horror with a Dave Lynch, David Lynch vibe, then you should watch this movie. Really, really. Yeah. yeah. All right. I I enjoyed it. Yeah. I didn't love it, but I did enjoy it. Ringing endorsement. Top it's, ten for the year. Not top ten for the year. Okay. No. Cool. It is what it is. I, I'm into this kind of movie. Like, you know, we talked about um, Girl Who Walks Home Alone at Night. Yeah. And that's another art house kind of horror movie. And we really liked that. Yeah. I'm into these art house horror movies because I feel like they're doing something a lot more different. Well, so am I. But this one just, I, I've, I've been hearing terrible things about it. And mm. it just. Um... I think the thing is, is that a lot of people were pissed off by the twist that they could figure it out. Oh, okay. And I've never let that ruin a movie for me. Right. Like, if I know the twist and I'm pretty sure what the twist is, I'm not going to be like, oh, fuck this movie now. I'm okay. just going to go along with the ride and see how they actually built the film to kind of, like, subtly let you know what this twist is. So that's what I spent the movie kind of doing after I kind of figured it out for myself is that I watched the movie and I said, okay, this scene here tells me that that hints towards this twist this way. This does this, this does this. I kind of like, it's kind of like architecture, right? Like I built it up in my head while I was watching it. Okay. So they did this to allude to this and so on and so forth. Right. So that's something that I enjoyed doing when I was watching it because there are a lot of subtleties that are in movies that if you're not paying attention, you might miss them. Yeah. You know, and, and that for me made the viewing experience more enjoyable. Cool. So nice. Maybe one day. Mm, maybe one day. <laughs> it shows up on Netflix, maybe. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever buy this one. No, this was another library special. Yeah. Yeah. So last one, and then we can finally talk about books. Because well, it's last been... one, then we've got one more we got to talk oh, about. Oh, dude, it's been like an hour and a half almost. Really? Yeah. Well, hopefully people like this. All right. Uh, I'm just going to bring up Crybaby because I haven't seen it in a long time. John Waters? Yeah, from okay. 1990, starring Johnny Depp. Um. I just sort of forgot how, because this is a bit more, this is where John Waters started to be go a little more mainstream. Yeah, this was more toned down John Waters. He had a bit of a budget. This is a musical. But damn, it's a fun movie, man. And this is a... This was his follow-up to Hairspray, right? Follow-up to Hairspray. He got a lot more money on this one. It's a bigger movie. Um, Johnny Depp, Amy Locaine from uh, Airheads and uh, Carried Away. Um <laughs> Amy Locaine's had a shitty time though, man. Like she in the last few years, um, she married a fairly wealthy man and uh ended up killing someone in a drunk driving accident. She's in jail now. Hmm. Too bad because she was like such a babe back in the day, and I think she had a really uh promising career ahead of her, and I just uh it's it's kinda kinda sad. Isn't this also um especially watching her in a movie like this, like cause she was really good in this movie. Anyway. Isn't also like Ricky Lake, Ricky Lake, and uh, Tracy Lords, Tracy Lords, yeah, Susan Tyrell. So good cast, Iggy Pop, good cast, great cast. Um, yeah, like Mink Stoll shows up, Patty Hearst, Willem Dafoe, so all kinds of cool cameos. Um, and then it's got Kim McGuire playing Hatchet Face, who's like typical John Waters, just like that one character who's just completely bizarre looking kind of like the egg lady and pink flamingos like you know just that really weird character she um and she's really like something else like she really is quite ugly and the way he's got her made up just kind of really 
adds to it and she's like one of the gang members in crybaby's gang and uh she actually i found out she was actually slated to um play the the lead in misery oh really and then uh kathy what's her name bates yep got swooped in and uh took the role but um yeah so this is the story of crybaby who's played by johnny depp he's the leader of the drapes who are kind of like greasers and it's just pretty much you know the a wrong side of the tracks type of right side of the tracks wrong side of the tracks love story with um this girl played by amy locaine named allison falls and she's like from the square so we're kind of like the preppies and she kind of falls for crybaby who's the leader of the drapes and it's just kind of a love story between them and uh of course you know the her friends don't like it and so all you know there's a jealous boyfriend and of course they cause all this havoc and there's like fights and then crybaby ends up in jail and Anyway, it's it's just a it's just a fun movie. It's kind of like kind of like Grease, kind of like The Outsiders. Not not a, it's not a drama though. It's a total like fun comedy, but a lot of a lot of Grease overtones in this, but it, with the John Waters spin on them. Anyway, it's it's worth worth watching again if you haven't seen this in a long time, or you you maybe enjoy Johnny Depp and you've uh, never heard of this. Uh, I'd recommend checking it out because it's it's a pretty fun, solid movie. And even though John Waters is toned down a bit, it's still got its Still got some good moments, and it's got some really great music in it, too. So Let's just say it's an okay kickoff point for John Waters if you're afraid of his earlier work. Definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. That, I think that, most people would probably start with Hairspray. Cry, but... Cry Baby and Hairspray are a good starting point to get ba- the basic weirdness that is John Waters yeah. before you actually dive back into his back catalog, catalog and, and uh, tra- traumatize yourself for life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is a fun one, and and yeah, like I said, I really, really liked Amy Locaine, and it's. I really, really like Serial Mom too that he made yeah. after this. Yeah, because that was kind of John Waters' light in a way too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's really too bad. I can't believe John Waters can't make can't get fucking funding. Like it just blows my mind that he can't make another movie because he just can't get money. Like it's happening to all these all these guys, and it just drives me crazy. Well, I know, but but that's because now. It's all just superhero movies, and well, we've lost like you know we've a lot of people talk about it. We've we've, we've lost that five million dollar movie, yeah. which I'm sure this was like in that we range. We totally have, and it's it either got to be a super indie or it's got to be a huge, like you said, superhero movie. Yeah, it can't. There's none of that real mid range stuff, and just audiences just aren't as accepting of movies like this right now. Like audience, I just don't can't see an audience today going to see something like this. Because, you know, probably mainstream audiences were going to see this movie back in 1990, right? Like, it was probably playing at the local multiplex. This is the kind of movie now that if this movie came out, like, today, it's a movie I would go see, but nobody I know would go see, like, at my work or whatever. They wouldn't even know what this movie was because they'd be too busy wanting to go see the newest Avengers movie or something. So, and that's sad. It's a sad state of affairs. It's a sad state. I, just on that, I've been so trying to get people to go see the fucking nice guys. And even that, people won't go to. They'll go to the fucking Avengers Civil War, which is pretty good, I, I might add. But still, like people just don't even want to hear it. They don't even want to hear it. They've they've heard about the nice guys and they've heard about the new. Uh, oh, There's a new one out to another new with. um uh, fuck i can't remember but there's another big new movie out right now with some big stars and i'm just like oh why are you going to see that when you know, there's great action comedies playing right now that you could be going to check out but yeah. they haven't heard of it they don't want to see it 
Exactly. It's sad. Yeah. They'll just the, nowadays the attitude is I'll wait for Netflix. Totally. Which sucks. It does suck. So the only other thing I wanted to bring up is just when we were driving down to get dinner before we should, the podcast oh, tonight. Oh, Jesus. I just wanted to mention that Chris said he watched Nightmare on Elm Street 3 <laughs> Dream Warriors, and it doesn't sound like it was all that he argued about it being <laughs> when I was talking about it numerous episodes ago. So Chris uh, violently defended Dream Warriors, basically called me a dumbass for not liking Dream Warriors. So I just wanted to think, what, what did you think of it now that you've watched it again? I still like Dream Warriors. I just don't like it as much. Right. I still think there's a lot of cool stuff in Dream Warriors, but I also think there's a lot of clunky stuff in <laughs> Dream Warriors. Okay. So I was like, we did an episode on <laughs> Freddy's Revenge when we had uh, a guest on Matt from St. Mort. And, uh, you know, that was fun. And so I was like, okay, well, why don't I... Uh, <laughs> Why don't I watch part three? Because I want to kind of work through them slowly myself. So I put it on and I was like, okay, I'm watching. I'm like, okay, this is still kind of fun. You know, I'm still enjoying the whole concept of these kids being in this mental ward. But then I'm like, man, this subplot with this nun is really clunky. I'm like, Nancy Langenkamp is not that good in this movie. Heather Langenkamp, yeah. I'm like, or Heather Langenkamp, What did you think of Craig Watson? Because you were fighting me on him too, I think. He was okay still. He was okay. I really liked Lawrence Fishburne in this movie, even though he's not in it that much. Yeah. And I thought the kids were generally okay. I thought Patricia Arquette's scream in this movie is really grating now. Okay. But, you know, there's still a lot of... I didn't like her that much. There's still a lot of cool ideas in this movie. Like, I still like, you know, the Freddy puppet. I still liked the whole, you know... What's the matter, Joey? Feeling tongue-tied when the naked nurse spits her tongues and ties them to the bed oh, yeah, and all yeah, that? Yeah. Like, I still liked all that stuff. Jennifer Rubin's pretty cool, too. Yeah, I just found it to be like... I don't know. I just found it to be a little bit more cheesy than I remembered. Yeah. But then again, dude, I saw this movie when I was 12 originally, so of course I'm going to love it more than I liked it as a 40-year-old man. I know. Just saying. So, just saying. Can we move on now that I you've right. thoroughly right. shamed me? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was a bad movie. I said it was entertaining. I just said it's not as great really as I curious. remember. I'm really curious. I really do want you to watch four again. I'm, I'm going to watch four. Maybe now, maybe now you'll see what I see. I'm planning on watching four, but I don't know when. Just don't watch five. Okay. Anyway, should we get into books? Yeah, man. Let's talk about reference books. And um, so the way I structured this is I basically wrote down and want to talk about the ones that I loved Growing up as a movie fan, like being that young kid when I was first getting into movies and these books that kind of guided me on my way to, you know, finding out about some of these obscure movies that we've been talking about on our podcast over over this time we've been doing it and things like that. And like made me more aware that there is more out there than just what Hollywood is giving you. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, I remember like, uh, you know, you start out as a young kid, you you know, your aunts or your uncles or somebody gets you to watch something and you're like, okay, I'm into movies. These, these things are good. And then you just start vacuuming up all this information and like trying to see all these as much as you can. Yeah. And you know, and back then we didn't have, you know, Netflix, IMDb, all this stuff, right? We had to kind of like dig for our information on movies. You have to read read books basically. This is kind of what inspired this episode, right? Yeah. And, so I was like, okay, well, when I was a young kid and I was getting into horror movies and, and general movies, what was the kind of books that 
called to me and made me discover all this stuff. So we're talking young kid now. Well, right now I'm talking about when I was a okay. really young kid. So like I remember starting out by, you know, when you're a kid and you read a lot of books like I did, you go to the library a lot, right? I like going to the library still as an adult, as is obvious by what I've been watching. But um, I remember going into the actual film section and finding books that look like they would tell me about this off subculture of films, this B-movie area that I've been hearing about, you know, with all these weird titles. So I remember getting this book called The Golden Turkey Awards right, by Michael and Harry Nedved, which was published in 1980. And it was kind of like, it was my intro to movies like, you know, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and, you know, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, The Swarm, things like that. Like movies that were like kind of not very good. Yeah. But still instantly watchable, right? Like, I remember I had no idea what Attack of the Killer Tomatoes was when I got this book out of the library. And then right after I got this book and and read about it, I was like, this sounds awesome. I saw it on Elvira's movie Macabre one night. Nice. And I was like, okay, Killer Tomatoes is the greatest, right? <laughs> um, but it was kind of like a precursor to the Razzies in a way. Right. Because it was like, you know, they they were picking like movies that were so ridiculous and had so many flaws that when I'm like, you know nine years old and I'm reading this book or 10 years old or whatever I was, I'm like, I need to see these movies. Was Savage Weekend in there? No. But I'm just like, they're just <laughs> so ridiculous been. that I had to seek these out, right? Yeah. And these authors previously wrote this book called The 50 Worst Films of All Time. And then they followed up with The Hollywood Hall of Shame and they did a sequel that I never read called The Son of Golden Turkey. Oh, cool. And, you know, this was just a fun book where, you know, I feel like a lot of the critiquing in the in that decade when this came out was more seriously themed. And, you know, I will talk a little bit about more serious critiquing later. But these were the kind of books where when you're a kid and you like watching Kung Fu and Godzilla on a Sunday afternoon, this is going to be the kind of book you're going to pick up and, and be like, okay, I'm writing these titles down and these are the movies I'm going to see. Nice. You know, and um, I'm just going to talk about one other one that I used to constantly get from the library at the same time. It was a book called Horror Shows okay, by Gene Wright. And it was this massive hardcover book. Right. And on on the cover, well, at least when I was a kid, I thought it was this massive hardcover yeah. book, right? And I remember just the cover image is of this screaming, topless girl. Oh, you've talked about this Covering before. her yeah. eyes, and you can see her, her eyes through her hands. Like they kind of are, you know mesh through her through her hands seeping through and it wasn't until like years and years and years later that i realized that that image is taken from a foreign phantasm poster oh wow so it's a poster for the movie phantasm that they borrowed the image i'm like a european poster yeah for the cover of this book but when you see a stark black cover that just called horror shows and red right across the top with this top lady screaming you're like okay I need to know about these horror movies that are in this, right? Nice, yeah. And it was like this massive volume. You know, it, it had all these write-ups of all these horror movies I'd never heard of, and they had stills. And this was the book that got me into, like, The Brood by David Cronenberg, right? Right. Because they had, like, a write-up on The Brood, and they had a picture of the the little girl from The Brood being attacked by the dwarf monsters, yeah. like, accompanying it. And, you know, it had pictures of, like, prom night where the girl had fallen from the 
from the building onto the glass and died. And like, you know, Michael Myers standing there behind the hedge and all these images that you take for granted now as a longtime horror movie watcher that when you were a kid, these were like totally like, Forbidden, you know, almost so exciting yeah. that you wanted to check this out, you know, and it's the book I took out the most. I used to take it out at least once a month so I could marvel over these pictures and just make these lists. Yeah. Because like at the time this, I was getting this book, video stores were kind of in their infancy and I didn't have a VCR at my house. You know, we talked about on the, when we had Robin on the podcast a few episodes back, we talked about how my first VCR came off the back of a truck. Yeah. But, um, you know, the only opportunity I had to watch movies as a kid was, you know, television. Television, yeah. So I'd have all these lists of movies written down that I wanted to see so bad, just hoping they'd come on on the <laughs> yeah. weekends, right? So, yeah, those were the two, like, main, like, impetuses for me in this path of movie nerddom that I'm still on to this day, 30-plus years later. Nice. So what what about you? Were there any that you can think of that were like kind of like the impressionable first introduction to the joys of movie reference books? Absolutely. Um, I think I and I wonder like I wonder how many people had the same because we obviously had very similar experiences this way as far as like because I was the same way, like obsessing over certain books. Yeah. And just especially like the stills yeah. and just being like, whoa, and um, just how it how it's how it impacted everything and like i said i don't think it'll be the same for people of this generation but from the from our generation yeah you'd find that book and then you'd kind of trip over it so my mine my uh what was yours called movie horror shows horror shows mine was called a pictorial history of horror movies um this was written by dennis gifford and it came out in 1973 and it had this green cover and it had like all the horror icons on it. Like I clearly remember like it was like Frankenstein and then to like like Karloff Frankenstein and then to like his right was like Lugosi's Dracula yeah. and then we had like um Jekyll and Hyde Wolfman. And, yeah, and I think King Kong was on the back. I know the golem was on the spine and even the fucking cover I like marveled over. I still marvel over it because I actually looked it up before we did the podcast. And just seeing that cover brought me right back. And well, I it's like horror shows too. Like yeah. before we started, I had to try and hunt down what this book was. Yeah. And as soon as I saw the image for that cover online, I was like, Yes. Yeah. So yeah. same thing. So I like memorized this cover and it was full it was like a collage of, of monsters. So I I wanted to see everything there. And then, yeah, just flipping through it, it was like, because it had, it covered like Hammer, and I didn't know any of this stuff. I just saw these cool, you know, it had the classic, like, you know, Christopher Lee and Prince Dracula, Princess Darkness falling through the ice. And, you know, so I just remember all these, all these black and white images and being like enthralled and wanting to see everything here. And so that was a real big thing for me, like getting me into horror movies. I think that got me more into horror movies than horror movies did just reading about them and watch and looking at all these images. So that was a huge one for me. Another one was called, um, and funnily, because I'm not really that big of a fan of the genre, but it was called gangster movies. And this was done in 19 made in, uh, 1976. And it was another hardcover book. And, uh, it had this picture of Gene Hackman playing Popeye Doyle, pointing a gun out. And yeah. it was like, I was like, 
completely enthralled with that book as well. And it was called gangster movies, but a lot of it was just like about like cop movies, which is a huge, I am a huge fan of movies like the French connection. Like I really like gritty cop dramas. So even though this movie was called gangster movies, it was, there was a lot of stuff about cop dramas. So I think so like Serpico and stuff like yeah, that. So I think a lot of my love for that genre came from this book because it is kind of a, I mean, yeah, a lot of people are into like, gritty cop movies and stuff but not the way i am and uh, i think you know i think it was very influential on me but it's funny i'm not into gangster movies so um and another there was a couple more one was called too young to die um and this was a this was um a bit later this is in 1988 so i was a little older when i got this one uh written by patricia frock fox shane world and this one talked about a lot of actors that died young is this the one with james dean on the cover it had like the one I had had like a couple of film strips on the cover, so it had like Gene Harlow, James Dean, Marilyn Monroe. I think John Lennon was on there. Bruce Lee. I think I actually saw this book when I was in Portland last week. Oh, nice! Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's actually well, I think so. So I, so we've got the movie that got me in, kind of into horror. We've got the movie that kind of got me into cop movies. This is the one that I think got me into old Hollywood because I'm I really dig like old Hollywood like. Um, you know, the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and all the kind of classic stars. I'm, I've really had an interest in that my whole life yeah, like as well. like the studio system. Yeah, and all these classic guys, like Clark Gable and all those guys. like Jimmy Stewart. I know about all these guys, I think, because I was reading books like this, which is really weird for someone when they're, you know, between the ages of like 10 and 15 or 20. But I, I remember reading this book quite obsessively as well and reading through all the stories and like learning about like Sal Mineo's career and how he got killed and Freddie Prinze and so it's just all these kind of obscure facts I know were from reading books like this because I mean I I think I've said to you before like I mean I know who Marilyn Monroe is and I know her whole fucking story but I've never seen a movie that she's in which is kind of weird and and I feel like that with a lot of the stuff because I've always had a big interest in the stories behind this behind this the um behind the screen yeah um and the other one i wanted to mention because i've also always had a big um interest in special effects and how things are done and that's always been a huge thing for me as and as, as and stunts but there was another one that came out in in uh, 1981 called special effects in the movies um uh, written by uh, john colhoun and this was a soft cover kind of coffee table book, but it uh, it sort of went behind the scenes and sort of showed you about miniatures and makeup effects and stuff like that. And that was another one that I just like obsessed over, just constantly, constantly going back to. So between this one and the horror movie one and the gangster one, I was like going between the three like all the time. My parents owned all three for some reason. I think they bought me the special effects one, but that horror movie one was still in their was was um, in their house before I came along, and and um, is still there. So I got to look at it recently. Nice. So those were all, but hugely influential on me, right? Because as a youngster, um, I think they kind of shaped me into the movie fan I am because of because of reading these books. And you know, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd have an interest in classic Hollywood had I not been reading about it. And I don't think I don't know if I'd have an interest in obscure 70s cop movies that i not had not been reading about it you know and so it's pretty cool that that we had that experience and i think that's going to be really lost on on people today like i i just don't need i think i think everything's so quick now and and you know as we get into some of these kids aren't gonna 
have that experience at all. People aren't going to have books where they're checking off what movies they've seen. Yeah. Which you know? is, which leads into my next book. Yeah. Which, uh, so like, you know, so once you get into these, these golden turkeys and you know, the horror shows and that, then we move on. You and I both probably moved on to this where we, we started doing Fangoria magazine, right? Yeah. I think you know, we should I, do a separate episode on. Yeah. Magazines. But like Fangoria Starlog and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Those were kind of, they kind of sated our appetites. Famous monster. In between us <laughs> finding these books to read, right? Like, you know, and my next reference book addiction was obviously at the hand of Leonard Malton. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. so this guy, he did a yearly guide. Um, I used to see him on Entertainment Tonight all the time. Oh, yeah, and he'd host those. segments on like real movies, you know, like real movies in quotes. But he'd also be the guy who would talk about like Roger Corman. Yeah. And he'd talk about like trauma and stuff like that. Like this is a guy who, you know, he, he fully acknowledged that his job generally can was about mainstream. Yeah. But he wasn't afraid to kind of get his feet dirty in the non-mainstream, which was what I was more interested in. Yeah. You know, and so he started publishing a yearly guide of, God, I don't even know how long ago. Yeah. I don't and uh, sadly, he stopped publishing it in 2014. Yeah. And I did pick up the final year's edition <laughs> because I had to. Yeah. It's just something you have to do. And, uh, you know, at the time... It was this one book that you could pick up and it would have like thousands of capsule reviews for these movies, right? Yep. Like movies I've never heard of, you know, and you would pour over this book for hours oh at a time, God, right? Yep. And the thing is, is that at the time I wasn't aware there was such a thing as contributors. So I thought this <laughs> dude, was, I, know, I thought this dude actually <laughs> sat down and had seen all of these fucking <laughs> movies and written about them. Yeah. It was actually Leonard Malton's movie guides that inspired me to start the video graveyard in the first place. Really? Yeah, because when I was really young, before the internet came along, I used to actually keep a friggin' book where I wrote down my own little, like, reviews of everything I'd watched. Wow. And I would use his four-star rating review. I'd even use Bomb as the lowest rating, like he did, right? And, like, I just, I used to just write these reviews in this notebook. And eventually, I'd start writing them on my Commodore 64 and printing them on dot matrix printer paper and all this stuff, right? And, you know, I'd follow his guide. And, you know, they were an annual tradition to me. Like, these are the books that Not I Not knowing just... the internet was coming, by the way. Well, exactly. Yeah. I would buy these, like, every year. Yeah, And I would always like be, okay, I think to myself, what came out last year that I want to see what Leonard gave this book, this movie, <laughs> right? And I'd look at it. And then you'd be like a typical thing where you'd you'd go to it. And, you know, since he was kind of mainstream, he had kind of a, you know, he was one of those guys who didn't like a lot of the horror stuff. Yeah. If he, but I, I, you know, you'd look up a movie and be like, what the hell are you talking about? Two stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or something like that. So, you know, when we're talking about today, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing today, I do owe to Leonard Walton's movie guide. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to, like, I, I hate to say it, but at the same time, I love that I get to say that. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're going to have anything guiding your way to movie fandom, it's great that it's something that you could only get in book form at the time because there was no such thing as internet. Yeah. You know, like, this was pure. This was something that was special. Yeah. And we've said this already this episode. You don't get that feeling anymore. No, no. So, you know, Leonard Malton all the way. 
Well, I, and I'm, I mean, it's funny because like mine wasn't Malton, but very similar. It was called. It was just called the Video Movie Guide. Yeah. By Mick Martin and Marsha Potter. I remember that one and too. And you remember, you know, it was like Malton. This one and yeah. Ebert. <laughs> yeah, and then they also, after a while, they had the um, the blockbuster one, which was very similar yeah, to yeah. Malton's. Yeah. This was the one that had the same general format, the same kind of capsule reviews, but this was the one I would mark up. This is the one where I did the like, blockbuster one. Yeah, this okay. is the one I'd put the check marks on. Yeah, I did that with this this video movie guy. I'd circle yeah. the ones I wanted to see. Yeah, or I'd give my own ratings and everything because I didn't want to tarnish the pureness that was Leonard Malton. I didn't fucking care about writing on the blockbuster guy, yeah. but I didn't want to ruin my precious Leonard Malton books. Wow. Right? So, you know, and, you know, I would actually take a dog-eared copy of this blockbuster movie guide with me to video stores a lot of times. Really? Where I'd be, he, you know, I'd open it up and seek out stuff I'd circled while I was at the video store. Wow, you're way nerdier than me. Oh, dude, I was. That's why I had way less friends than you, probably too. <laughs> well, that's funny. No, but it's just it's it's. But there's probably people that are into the Ebert one, right? Like, well, yeah, like, I'm going to talk about Ebert. I think too. it was probably like which one maybe you got first, right? Like that was, but that's the one you were kind of like brand loyalty to. Because I never really got into the the Malton one because yeah. I liked this other one, but I was used to the format, right? Oh, I totally remember Video bought, Movie Guide. Right? I yeah. totally remember it. Yeah, and I totally remember Malton, but I think this is the one my parents had. This is the one I was used to. And then, you know, you go to Malton, it's slightly different. And it's like, no, this is the one I'm used to because I know how to find stuff in it yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, but this that was my go-to. But same same idea. Yeah, the sure. Malton one was the one that had the index in the back that would in no way, shape, or form have just Franco in it. Yeah, which same I with this one. Also had, they had the director index and the yeah. actor index. Right? But they never have these B-movie guys. But, like, why don't we talk about Roger Ebert a little bit? Yeah, I don't, Since you brought sure. him up. Like, I... Never really got into his books. I never got to. Like, I always just watch Cisco and Ebert on TV. Yeah, or at the movies or sneak previews Yeah, it's first incantation. Like, I would watch all those, but I, I never really got into his books. And, you know, him and uh, Pauline Kael yeah. are both considered to be, like, the greatest film reviewers to have walked the earth, basically. Yeah. Like, for actual, like, movie fans and everything. Like, these guys are, like, you know held in such reverence for movie critics. Yeah. And, you know, um, Ebert has a great series of books now that I appreciate as an adult. It's the uh, Your Movie Stinks series of books. Don't so know he's, he's got a book called Your Movie Stinks. He's got a, another book called A Horrible Experience of Unbearable Length. And these are ones where he talks about movies that he just could not tolerate. But he does it in, like, a way that's very humorous. Okay. And he's also peppered in his interactions with the actual filmmakers at times. Okay. So a good example of this is um, a movie called, I think it's called Chaos. It's from the guy who made a movie called Malevance later. Is it the Sage Stallone thing? Uh, Steven Avalos, I think the guy's name okay. is or something. But uh, he trashed this movie. And then he got like letter from the director. Trying to be like, well, why didn't you like my movie kind of thing? And he just talks about that. And that's just like a fun A-side to being a movie critic. Because like, you know, I don't consider myself a professional movie critic, obviously. I run a friggin' website that you and I just happen to write about movies because we love it. Yeah. But I've had these, this happened to me in the past too. Like when I first started the Video Graveyard, I had directors email me and be like, at the beginning of the internet, be like, 
why didn't you like my movie? Yeah. You know, like, what's wrong with you? Maybe <laughs> if you understood what we, how much work we had to put in this movie, you'd like it more. Yeah. Like, I remember uh, this guy, I'm going to name some names here, uh, Michael Druxman. He made this movie called The Doorway for Roger Corman. Oh, with Ray Scheider? Yeah. Oh, it's a terrible movie. Yeah, and I said it was terrible, and he emailed me and said, I, I think you watched the wrong movie. Wow. He's like, this was a really good no, movie. No, you watched the right movie, dude. I remember Andy <laughs> Rubin, Cat Shea Rubin's husband, emailing me because I didn't like Dance of the Damned. Really? I've since gone back on that because that's a good movie. Yeah. But he emailed me too. And this is at the beginning of the internet when people just sought out their names because wow. it was a new thing, right? You know, and you've had experiences like that too. Should we talk about your... Well, we won't name a name there, but I did have a director email me and say, thanks for ruining my career. Yeah, yeah like I ruined his career. Yeah, but, so, you uh, know, <laughs> it's just weird. And that's why I, I appreciated these books too, because, you know, he kind of brings like a tongue-in-cheek approach to movie reviewing too. Yeah. And and Pauline Kale is the kind of uh, books you just want to seek out if you want like intelligent well thought out critique like yeah. she's very good at what she does but she's not quite my bag it's a little too highbrow for me yeah yeah, yeah. like i don't want to i don't really want a movie to be analyzed down to the bare bones no, no. when i'm reading about it yeah so agreed agreed so like we have malton we have blockbuster but then we have my first real love of horror specific reference guides yeah and it's a book called creature features by john stanley is it the video hound one no no okay that's coming okay but creature features is by a guy called john stanley and you know if i thought that the malton guide and horror shows introduced me to horror this guy he seemed to like have seen everything right you know there was titles in this book i'd never heard of and they were formatted in this easily digestible format, you know, but without this mainstream bias against the genre that we see a lot. Yeah. You know, like, you know, mainstream media hates fucking horror movies. They do. This guy embraced the weird horror sci-fi B-movie level stuff. And, you know, and along with Fangoria, which we mentioned before, this book was easily my Bible when wow. it came to learning about horror movies yeah this is a book where i actually used it so much that it got torn in half by the time i was done oh my god and do you still have it i don't have it because wow. it was just so written on torn in half and destroyed but a good story about that is that when my girlfriend and i got together she had a copy of it on her bookshelf nice and she said i love this book right on so there Meant to go. be. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Meant to be. So, like, was there any, like, specific genre ones like that that you can think of? Um. Well, I mean, I had a bit of a rougher ride in, uh, in my adolescence there. So, um, there wasn't a lot that I was doing from, like, between the time when I was reading, like, the horror movie, like, the pictorial history of horror movies in the gangster movie book, and then when I was, you know, it was pretty much the video movie guide was what I was kind of um, dealing with. But then then I got into the case. Okay, so then a movie that, a book that really kind of changed things for me, but this was probably in my late teens, though, so, because so, I didn't watch a lot of, a lot of horror movies when 
I was in my teens, as is quite evidenced regularly <laughs> on this podcast when I have no the fucking idea what he's talking about with 80s movies. Yeah. But, um, but a movie that a book that really changed things for me was the uh, Psychotronic Encyclopedia film by Michael Weldon. I think this book changed a lot of people. Yeah. So this one um, came out, the first one came out in 1983. So I probably picked it up in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, but once I got this, because I was starting, I, I, I started going around with a different group of friends that were into into cold movies. And I was, I've was i always been into movies, but I've just never really had anyone to share them with. Then I met uh, um, some new friends and I started getting back into it. And I picked up this book and um, this totally opened up my world because i mean it made me realize there was so much more out there that i knew of and and it's something that even to this day i still constantly realize <laughs> like yeah, this this is like my the, your psychotronic is like my creature features yeah and i just read and read and read and i was ticking off everything in there too and weldon also put out in 1996 uh sort of sequel called the psychotronic video guide which um had um similar type reviews but they were slightly shorter but i really liked his style because he was really funny like there was a lot of like they were kind of off the cuff comedic like you were talking to a friend it would be like you were you know one of your friends was reviewing one of these weird movies and these were all weird movies so there wasn't a lot of mainstream stuff i don't think you'd find the godfather in the psychotronic video about savage weekend yeah, I, I'm sure it's in there. I, I, I'd love to. I got to dig up my books, but um, I'm yeah, I'm kind of curious, and I really wish I had those books because I've had them put away right now for a long time. I still got them all though, um, but I'm really kind of this this researching this episode has really made me kind of long for those days where I watch a movie and then go look it up in the Psychotronic Video Guide and see what he thought because I really liked and I agreed with most of what he said. It also really influenced just the way I write re- movie reviews. Um, I know it drives Chris crazy a little sometimes, but I'm really kind of into like little trivia tidbits that I, <laughs> you know, and, and that's kind of the way I structure movie reviews when I write for Video Graveyard. I mean, I, I usually do an opening and then I usually do a plot summary and then I usually do like my kind of review and then I usually end with a few few little trivia bits. And that's heavily influenced by the Weldon style. I mean, he's not the only one that did it, but it, I really dug that and it was really something I wanted to do and share with people. Because I was really enjoyed reading a review and then finding out that, you know, such and such an actor was in this movie as well. And I'd be like, holy shit, you know, or so and so was this person's son or whatever. Right. Like, I love that stuff. And I continue to love that stuff. So um, that was a big influence there, too. But I, I loved both these books and, yeah, constantly, constantly referencing them. So those were two huge ones for me. But I've got lots more as well, so I don't know where where this where you want to take this thing. Well, why don't you keep going? All right. Well, I'll talk about a few other kind of major ones that when I was sort of really getting into movies because I, like I said, I was really started getting into movies again when I was around twenty. Um, so these two I really enjoyed as well. They were called Video Trash and Treasures. There was two volumes of them. They were I remember these written by L. A. Morse. And um, I really liked these ones, too, because they were like the way the book was structured is it had like little um, they were it was like structured into little like 
almost like little like movie nights you could almost be like you know it'd be like slumber party fun or something and it would have like slumber party massacre one and two or something or you know movies about elevators or whatever right yeah kind of like you know remember on video graveyard you used to have those like three yeah yeah, yeah. whatever those were like yeah like so they grab be, bags yeah grab bags so they'd be like kind of like you could almost like open up this book and like find like two movies that would pair well and then go do a double feature right um but i loved again i really liked the style of this guy because um you know it was it, they were just kind of fun reviews and it would you know we talk about some of the big plot things and you know we're all paranoid about plot spoilers and stuff these days these guys didn't give a shit and like when reaching reading these it kind of made me want to see the movie like and savage weekend for example is a perfect <laughs> movie that you could write you know read a review in in this um, book and be like all over it. Right. And it would talk about like, you know, the kills and it would talk about the, the nudity. And, and I was like, you know, I, so I'd be like totally going through this going, Oh, what do I want to see? Oh, lots of kills, lots of nudity sold. Um, so yeah, I really, I really dug these. I think I, these are long out of print though. I think the thing is too, with the whole spoilers issue is that when we were young and we were reading these books and they had spoilers in them, it took us so fucking long to actually hunt down the movies yeah. that we probably forgot yeah, what totally. the spoilers were to yeah. begin with, right? Yeah. But it's actually made me rethink a little, like, how bad are spoilers? Like, I think spoilers are pretty bad. They can be, but I times. feel like people get a little bit too over the top sometimes. Yeah, I mean, talking about a cool scene, like, you know, if I'm going to talk about, like, Ten Hombre and talk about the, like, the, like, girl who gets her fucking hand cut off and then paints the wall with blood, like, that's not a spoiler. No. Okay, that's just... That's just a cool scene. Telling someone about a cool scene. So I think, but I I feel like even in today's day and age, I'm almost even paranoid to even say that because I don't want to ruin anything. But that's the type of shit that sells a movie to me sometimes. Maybe that's why I'm bad at giving spoilers sometimes just because I'm so used to it when I was younger. Yeah. Because I know I've ruined. You give some pretty. I've ruined, a couple, I've ruined a couple of movies that way. I admit it. Yeah. Yeah. So. But um, sorry. So Video trash and treasures was a, a really big one. I remember those. I I don't remember diving into them heavily, but I do remember seeing them. Yeah, and I still have all these, so um, you can probably borrow them if I get or if I can. Dude, dig if them you out. dig these out, we're gonna have a heyday looking at yeah. these. Um, should I keep going? Well, I can talk about um, Video Hound. Sure, because uh, Video Hound was another like line of books that they used to do a yearly guide to. And, you know, I wasn't really into their yearly guide, but they were the ones where they were, like, massive, right? They were, like, heavy books. Yeah. Because they were, like, a big size, and they were just, you know, they'd rate their movies out of bones because, yeah. you know, go with their video hound theme. But they actually had sub books they did. They did one on uh, mobster movies, like you were talking about your gangster ones. But yeah. there was two particular ones they they made that I have at home still, and I still look at because I still love them. Um, they did, like, I, I consider these books to be essential for me, yeah. personally. Um, in 1995, they put out a movie called Cult Flicks and Trash Picks. Yep. Edited by uh, Carol Schwartz. And this was the one that tackled movies like, you know, Pink Flamingos and Eraserhead and, you know, Mighty Peking Man. And, you know, yep. all these kind of like off-kilter movies you don't really hear about. And yep. and what I liked about this was they would like, um, you know, they would have stills. They would have write-ups. But the write-ups were like, they were... 
they were long enough that you got an idea of if you were going to enjoy the movie, but they weren't so long that you were like exhausted by the time yeah. you finished reading about them, right? And they always these books always had sidebars in them, you know, like yeah. they always had like focuses on certain types of movies or genres or directors or you know decades and stuff, and they always had that. And I liked how all these books also had quotes, yeah, along the spines from the movies, and like you know, like. At the time, if you didn't know what a movie was, a quote would pop up and catch your eye and be like, okay, look that movie up in this book, write it down. Need <laughs> yeah. to find this movie, right? Yeah. Like, like I, I think it's actually, I didn't see Pink Flamingos till I was in my 20s. Probably a good thing. <laughs> so this was the book that actually introduced me to Pink Flamingos. Really? Because I saw a quote from Divine oh. on the side and I was like, that quote's fucked. I need to look this movie up. And then I went and I saw the movie right away. Welcome and to I the world of singing assholes. I don't in the, my <laughs> lifetime regret seeing Pink Flamingos. And I believe that if you cannot call yourself a true cult movie fan, if you haven't seen Pink Flamingos. Yeah. But that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> the other book they made that I really loved was 1988's Horror Show. Yeah. Uh, by Mike Mayo, which was, uh, you know, it was like, 999 horror films it was supposed to have covered. Right. And the intro was written by David J. Scow, who's like a yeah, kind of great. like a splatterpunk horror author who I like. I like his stuff. He also like wrote Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 screenplay and stuff like that. And, um, you know, these were like, these books were just like really impressive to look at. Yeah. You know, they were really heavy and weighty and oversized and they had the glossy covers and, you know, they were just like, I got them for super cheap and they were indispensable. They like, you know, they obviously weren't as beloved as my creature features. Yeah. But, you know, these were like great for beginners. Like if I was to say to someone, you know, sure, I know what a movie like Mr. No Legs is, you know, but maybe you guys should start with these books that have more accessible titles that are cult movies. Like (laughs) you can get pink flamingos on DVD. You can't get Mr. No legs on DVD. You know, like these are the books I would point to, to people who are like, Oh, I'm just used to watching superhero movies, but I'm interested in the off the cuff kind of cult movies. What where can I look? Yeah. I'd point to these and I would probably point to your psychotronic film guide for sure. Yeah. You know, that's what's important about what we're talking about today is that like there's such a massive world of film yeah that even us as guys who've seen a lot of this stuff have yet to discover yeah very tip the ice actually i get depressed knowing i'm never gonna see everything i want to see oh we know that i'll die before i see everything i'm not gonna see everything i own before i die probably (laughs) so you know well you gotta keep quit buying shit man that's true that's true but yeah, but, Video Hound also did a really cool. Um, they did a one on indie movies. Yeah, I remember so that when, one. Uh, it was kind of like when Tarantino and the Coen Brothers and stuff were really kind of hitting their stride. Um, that was that was a good one. There was also one on world cinema, which is pretty cool. So if you're not a big, if you don't know a lot about, again, like like Chris said, if you don't know a lot about foreign films, you don't know who Herzog is or or um, you know uh, Truffaut and those guys. Um, you could read about them in this and, and you know, get going on that stuff because yeah, like there's so you, much to if, discover. If you always hear, like, movie snobs saying who Fellini is, yeah, it's a good place to start these video hound books for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. So, uh, yeah, great, 
and I, I really learned about the, when when I worked in a video store. That's that was our go to as well. Was the know. video hounds? We always had the video hounds around. Yeah, yeah. They're they're good books, but they're not like so inaccessible for like people who are just starting out to learn these things. Because you know what I always have to try and remind myself is that I know a lot of movies. Yeah, I always have to remind myself. You know, there are people who are just getting into discovering this. And instead of being elitist, we need to guide them and, and oh, yeah. take their hands and introduce them to this world. Because, you know, the more of us there are, the better. Well, that's why I'd always like when, I, when, when I we're doing this podcast, I'm always kind of hoping someone who doesn't know a lot of stuff is listening instead of people that are just kind of agreeing with everything we're saying. Right. Yeah. Like, I'd love to know that someone who didn't know anything was listening and going, Fuck, I'm going to write down all these books. You know, like just yeah. something like maybe, that. Maybe <laughs> I will watch Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, that'd be great. So um, so we've covered the video hounds. Yep. Um, so another couple that I I ran into was, um, they were called the Splatter Movie Guides. Oh, yeah, by uh, John McCarthy. John McCarthy, yeah. McCarthy, yep. Those were those were good too. Yeah, nineteen eighty nine and nineteen ninety two. Um, there was two volumes. Um, so yeah, these would cover yeah a lot of like slasher movies and stuff. Many of which I still have not seen, but um, it, they were they were again like just kind of fun reads. You're and, starting there, man. You're going along that trail. You're starting to see some of them. Yeah, kind of, but just kind of a fun way to learn about them. So that, again, like I can often talk about a lot of movies just because I've been reading these stupid books forever. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I haven't seen the movies, I still know what most of them are about. Right. And that's from reading these. The pr- the problem with this is that a lot of these books are unfortunately out of print. They are. So it's hard to get a grip on. And I really wish that there would be a resurgence where somebody was to like just republish these things. I just don't know if it would go over now. I know. It's it's hard to say. It's just because everything's so accessible at the click of a of a mouse. Yeah. You know, or like... A, like especially movie reviews. Like people now just go to IMDB user reviews. Yeah. Which is sad. Go to the goddamn external reviews at least and click on Video Graveyard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Because I don't think people even do that anymore. They go to the user reviews and they're listening, reading some dumbass that says, "I like Superman one, but I like Superman two better than I like Superman three even more." Batman Sup- versus Superman was good, <laughs> but not as good as Superman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> this is an in joke. If uh, Josh and I have an in joke about a, a IMDb uh, reviewer, just yeah, in maybe, case you're wondering. maybe I'll post him. Yeah, his, his his stuff is pretty golden. Yeah, it's pretty golden, but yeah. it's the type of stuff that actual people are reading. Yeah, to get their their film criticism and uh, and I think that's kind of sad too because I mean I think having that um, you know with a lot of these books like well all of these books I mean yes some of them had contributors like Chris said but still I felt like you were still getting a fairly consistent voice. Yeah, um, especially with like the you know like the splatter movie guide and. Um, and the um, video trash and treasures and, and Weldon's books, because you were getting yeah like this consistent voice that was you know so you, if you knew if you related to this guy you were kind of gonna he was gonna point you in the right direction like if you like kind of dug most of the stuff he dug if he's recommending something you were kind of safe whereas on IMDb be message boards you don't know the sh- you don't know shit about these people you don't know what what other movies they like so they could be completely steering you in the wrong direction right. Well, and then, like, on that note, I just wanted, like, we'll talk quickly about um, another thing that I wanted to kind of recommend, and I I recommended this when we had him on, but Robin Bougie 
does cinema sewer. Yeah. And I find that those are really like a really good guide for like these culty kind of movies too, but given like an alternative look at all a uh, cult cinema, just with a lot of dirty cartoons and you yeah. know stuff like that. And, but you know, a lot of filth in his stuff, but you, at the same time, you're getting information on these movies. You might not know. And, um, when we were on that episode, we talked a lot about, um, uh, zines and stuff. And I think one of the, my favorite sources online now, because he doesn't have a book is critical condition online. And and this is a guy, Fred, I think it's Fred Vogel is his name. And he's been doing this stuff since like, you know, the 80s. And I find that his reviews are the ones that take me back to reading these movie guides. Okay. So if you guys really want to see kind of an online idea of what we're talking about, then just Google critical condition online and you'll kind of get an idea of what Josh and I are talking about with all these books. Or go to videograveyard.com and decide which of us you like better and you read our reviews. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't know this was becoming a competition. No, but I mean, no, but what I'm trying to say is if someone like likes what your tastes are more, yeah. they probably want to read your reviews. I mean, or yeah. they might like both of us and want to be, but you know, we do have different tastes. So I yeah. mean, people are going to like, but that's, that's gone with the minute you go to IMDb. Yeah. User reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Um, so for a little more of a detailed crit- criticism about cult movies, there were the books cult movies, um, one, two, and three by Danny Peary. Did you have these ones? I've read them, but I didn't own them. Yeah. So these ones, these ones went a little longer. Like the, the movies, the reviews usually went like three or four, like large pages along, but there were still stills involved, but these weren't, weren't the capsule reviews we've been talking about, but more like in-depth criticism. Yeah. Kind of like Pauline Kale does. Yeah. Um, but again, pretty fun reading, and uh, I, I enjoyed all three of them. Um, but you know, you'd get everything, you know, and by cult movie, you know, Peary's definition of cult movie was quite varied. You'd be going from like behind the green door to like the red shoes with uh, Michael Powell's movie, or you'd be going from like King Kong to the Wizard of Oz to the Maltese Falcon to El Topo to Pretty Poison. So there'd be you'd be going through the whole spectrum. But it was a good way if you wanted a little more in-depth reviews of some of these weird movies, you could check those out. Um, a big influence on me, though, with getting into more extreme horror was um, a writer named Chaz Bellin. Yep. And he wrote, um, he was uh, had a magazine called Deep Red. But um, two, two books that really had an influence on me um, were called The Gore Score and More Gore Score. And these came in 1987 and 1995, respectively. Um, but these were, again, quite small capsule reviews, but they had like a little, literally a gore score. So yeah. you knew how gory the movie was going to be. Um, those were a lot of fun as well. Did you yeah, read, did you I read those? I liked those ones. Those were yeah. fun. And um, yeah, his, I remember, I, I remember always trying to find deep red magazine and i never could yeah so when those books came out it was like i knew about them like yeah. about his stuff so i was really excited to get a chance to actually read something because i remember like i could never hunt down his magazine right i always managed to find my you know my fangoria and all that but his stuff was always hard to get a hold of so when those books came out i remember checking those out for sure they were hard to get i remember running into like i remember on a trip to hollywood one year i found deep red and um draculina and i was like 
totally discovered these new things, but that was the only place I could get that was if I went down to Hollywood. So um, I agree, same thing. And then you'd uh, get the magazine. Oh, I'm I'm going to keep going. Yeah, here. keep going. All I don't right. have a lot left, really. I can just chime in. Okay, just sort of on the kind of like fringy stuff, like um, like Chasbalon. Um, like I, I actually got it quite a bit of learned quite a bit about movies from catalogs, believe it or not. So like, um, one was um, by a company called Blackest Heart. Now this was back in the days. Yeah, I you, remember Blackest yeah, Heart. You couldn't get a lot of stuff on. You know, this was back in the VHS days. But this tape trading days. Yeah, a lot of stuff you couldn't get. There was no DVD where there was you could buy on Amazon. There was no Blu-ray. That's for sure. And so a lot of movies you could not see unless you either bought like an import Japanese laser disc or you did a tape trade. Yeah. And so Blackest Heart was a company that um kind of specialized in this and they um um you could order basically yeah, dubbed ad- movies from them. They advertised in the back of our of horror magazines yeah. and stuff like that and you would mail away for a catalog. Yeah. But I really loved the way the catalog was written. So it was it was written because it would have like some weird movie you've never heard of, and then a like super funny review about it. And so it was kind of like some of these. It was kind of like reading the gore score, or it was kind of like reading the video trash and treasures. Like, but it was a just a catalog that you could just get. Um, and I learned about a lot of movies reading Blackest Heart reviews. And, uh, can't remember what his name was. Sean something. He he ended up directing a movie called Black Devil Doll, and he now now runs uh, Rotten Cotton, uh, which is a great T-shirt place. If you uh, ever want to buy horror shirts, check it out. Um, but he he's the one who, who was behind Blackest Heart. But he uh, had a had a huge influence on me getting into some really obscure stuff. Um, another catalog I I also liked was um, a company called Revoc Film Prodigies, and that was a Canadian company. But again, you could like buy three get the fourth free but yep. um I'd, I'd find out about a lot of like um you know italian uh, police crime movies politici or whatever and cannibal movies and all that stuff um from revoc and also from a company called video vortex they had a nice little catalog and um just tiny little reviews but enough to get you to go what the fuck is this and but this was like again like kind of really obscure cinema um but really got me into a a lot of cool things um so i think a lot oh just on on a side note too i just wanted to mention mr skin skin cyclopedia because (laughs) that's how josh rolls well chris you know exactly what i'm talking about i said oh pretend you i know exactly what you're talking about yes so this was a this was a, a very sexist book that was put out in the late 2000s that was basically a directory of nude scenes which uh i think a lot of a lot of guys probably checked out when they were young but um, you mentioned the cinema sewers. Um, so a lot of the other ones I have are more, um, kind of, um, reference, like not list books, but more like kind of reference books about particular subgenres. So, um, I don't know if you want me to keep going or, or did you have any other ones to add? Like as far as the capsule review, I don't check-offs? have any real, I didn't really write any like genre reference books down because i was mainly focusing on like review heavy books okay so i mean you can keep going if you want and i can chime in okay there there um there isn't a lot of books lately that have come out but i i will just go through some that i think are of note that i think are worth checking out i have ones that i wrote down that are recent ones that i haven't read but i'd want to so 
you might have some of these here. Yeah, I'll go through. Th- I'll go through the ones I actually have read first, okay. and then I'll then we can talk about ones we that I haven't read. So the ones I've read, um, there's actually a pretty recent one that's a lot of fun called Monsters in the Movies. Um, this came out in 2011 and uh, was written by John Landis. And he, uh, it's just about movie monsters. And it's a nice big giant coffee table book that has all kinds of pictures. Kind of like, you know, I'm kind of hoping that like maybe um, uh, my girlfriend's young boy would maybe discover monsters in the movie sitting on my coffee table. Similar to um, the way I discovered a pictorial history of horror movies back when I was when I was 11 um, cause it's the kind of book that you might make you go like start flipping through it and be like, what the hell is all this stuff? Well, yeah, there's a lot of cool coffee table books yeah. out there. Like I have one at home called trash, which is just like exploitation B movie drive-in movie posters. Cool. And like that book is so cool. Cause it's just like a oversized coffee table book with reproductions of all these cult movies. Yeah. And some of them I haven't heard of kind of like, um, Robin's uh, graphic thrills, right? Which we both recommended repeatedly. But, uh, you know, there's something to be said about these kind of, like these coffee table books too, that are just appreciating the art of actual movie posters because like you don't see that a lot. It's starting to come back around now where you're seeing a lot of hand-drawn posters and stuff. But back in the day when you had like Drew, uh, what's his name? Struzuka? The guy who drew like the Raiders of the Lost Ark posters and things like okay. that, like all these hand drawn posters and like there was an art form to marketing your film back then. And then in the 90s, they just kind of photoshopped all the cast in front of the title and stuff. And, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a lost art and having these um, coffee table books that collect this kind of stuff is just a great thing. I mean, I might not keep them on my coffee table because I'm afraid they're going to get damaged, <laughs> but I do like to pull them down every once in a while and flip through them and just think, you know these are really something special. Like this is what being a movie fan is about is, is just seeing these like overzealous over the top advertisements for these movies. And a lot of times they didn't match the quality of the film within, but God damn it. Did they try to bring you into that film? And it worked most of the time. That's true. Yeah. And just to clarify, Landis's book is not a movie poster book. It's, no, it's, it's not. It's about it's not. It's his stills, but uh, but trash and uh, Robin's uh, books about adult film posters are and uh, and like Chris says, they're a lot of fun to just go through and uh, you know see something that might like I like I said on Robin's podcast, it's kind of like bringing you back to flipping through like walking the video store aisles when you can flip through a book and see some covers that you. Uh, probably have memorized you know because i used to have memorized the horror section in my video store that's for sure yeah so, yep. so they never get old right nope that's kind of what i'm saying um another great one um actually i'll bring up a couple here just regarding european horror movies because i'm a big fan um one i read was called eaten alive italian cannibal and zombie movies from 2002 written by jay slater so this kind of covers all of the great italian cannibal and zombie movies from cannibal ferox and uh cannibal holocaust to dr butcher to the beyond and gates of hell um you didn't say it right what it's dr butcher medical deviant medical deviant yeah so uh that's uh that was a big big one i really uh really like that one um again probably out of print now i don't know um, another one is called Immoral Tales, European Sex and Horror Movies from 1956 to 1984. This was published in 1995, um, written by, Ka- or uh, edited by Cathal Tohill and Pete Toombs. 
Um, again, like if you're in, you know, kind of curious about like Jess Franco and like the sexploitation and Euro trash, um, great place to uh, get some in- insight into that. Um, another one is um, um, called D- uh, another series of books. They're a little outdated now, but they were a lot of fun to read. Were called DVD Delirium. Um, yeah, I remember those. Do you have any of those? I ha- I don't have them, but I have read them. Yeah. So these were four volumes, and uh, they came out between like in in the early two th- like two thousand and one to two thousand ten, and um, written by Nathan- Nathaniel Thompson. Um, again, pretty good fun reviews, but the problem is like what one thing he did is he like compare DVD versions and stuff course that's all out the window now and with so many things coming out it's just impossible to keep on top of that i know we tried to in the video graveyard uh, we used to put dvd details and stuff and uh it changes constantly it became redundant it's just Im- impossible so but those those they're still they're still relevant and they're still they're still pretty fun reviews and you can check them off um a really fun one is called uh Sleazoid express yeah from, i have this on my wish list do you from 2002 um, by Bill Landis and Michelle Clifford. This is really cool because it um, it has um, it goes through a number of cult movies, but um, it goes through their their um, uh, it goes through a bunch of, of of movie theaters in the Times Square, um, you know, in the I can't remember what it's called, the Deuce, and all the different movie theaters that were there. So each chapter of this book focuses on a different movie theater and kind of like what it was like being in that theater in Times Square back in the heyday. And then it would talk about specific movies. Like one, I, I know, you know, there's a chapter about the Olga movies, like Olga's dance hall girls or whatever. And it would sort of talk about the movie and it would also talk about the theater and you'd kind of get a bit of the experience. Anyway, it's a really fun read, but not not particularly a reference book, but still a pretty f- a fun read. Um, also, Nightmare USA, The Untold Story of Exploitation and Independence um, by Stephen Thrower. Um, this is a massive book that came up um, from Fab Press. And this one um, has a lot of really uh, in-depth interviews with exploitation um, um, and independent filmmakers. Um, like, I think the guy from like last house on dead end street is interviewed and it's just got these really massive chapters on a lot of really cool, um, stuff. And this is a book that you just, uh, you know, it's just a wealth of information and it's fucking huge. And, uh, it was out of print for the longest time, but it's now gone into a second printing. So that's highly recommended as well. Um, if you're into black exploitation movies, there's a great one called black exploitation cinema, the essential reference guide, um, that came out in 2007 by uh, Josiah Howard. Um, just covers all the black exploitation movies. I remember not really. Um, I I remember feeling like this book needed an editor, <laughs> but um, still, like it it it's pretty exhaustive um, reviews of of uh, not reviews, but just it covers so many black exploitation movies that if you're interested in the genre, it's kind of a must have. Um, there was a book on. Um, if you're a fans of um, of uh, European directors, there's a huge book on Mario Bava called All the Colors of the Dark from 2007 by Tim Lucas. Another beautiful book that's fucking huge. It, it takes up like half your coffee table and it's like a thousand pages or something ridiculous. Again, very hard to find, but a beautiful, beautiful Isn't, book. Isn't uh, Tim Lucas the guy who does Video Watchdog? He is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So that's it's a 
fantastic book. Um, there's also one by um, Stephen Thrower, did Nightmare USA on Fulci, called uh, Beyond Terror, the films of Lucio Fulci from 1999. It's also quite a beautiful book filled with pictures and criticism and, and so forth. Um, a couple of um, kind of really fringy books that I read um, that got me into some really kind of obscure areas of film were um, one was called Killing for Culture, Death Film from Mondo to Snuff. Did you read this one? No, I haven't read, heard of this. Okay. So this was um, from in 1996. It was published. The I think these were from like that research magazine. Do you know that magazine? It's kind of a weird, really uh, kind of underground magazine, but... So this book, um, written by David Kurekis and David Slater, it covers like it covers kind of the mythology of snuff films, and then it talks about like snuff films in films. So like like Last House on Dead End Street and the movie Snuff, and then it gets into like Mondo movies. So um, which is kind of a curiosity subgenre, but um, quite a fascinating read. And and also it talks about whether snuff films are real. So it's pretty cool. Um, and another one that came out similar, I think from the same company, was called Death Tripping, the Cinema of Transgression. And um, this um, came out in 2000. Um, and this was uh, written by uh, Jack Sargent. And the Cinema Transgression is a uh, really underground film movement in New York City that I got into. Um, you know, filmmakers like Richard Kern, Nick Zed, um, and it had, um, you know, it featured people like Henry Rollins and Lydia Lunch. They were they were starred in a lot of these movies. But uh, this is a fascinating look at like what the cinema of transgression is and like where these filmmakers were coming from. And um, it's it's quite in depth and it's it gives you a lot of information on 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 that on that stuff. Um, a really great one about. Um, Canadian movies is called They Came From Within, A History of Canadian Horror Cinema. Do you have that one? No? You've read a lot more than me, I think. That's uh, So this is by... Um, I know the cover. It's, uh, it's, it's like The, the Brood. Brood. Yeah. yeah. So this is uh, by a, a writer named Caleb uh, Vattenstall. And um, this came out in 2004. Fun story. When this came out, actually, I went to... Uh, um, uh, Carol Janice um, did a festival here called um, Cine Muerte and she did a kind of a reading from this book and um, this author was there and Bob Clark was there and um, I got, that's where I bought the book and I got them both to sign and stuff but uh, it's a really cool um, look at like yeah, Canadian horror movies but it also goes through all the like Canadian tax shelter horror movies that were made and it covers of course Cronenberg and all that but really kind of an interesting look at Canadian horror cinema but most horror fans would know about a lot of this stuff but it's it's a it's a pretty great book as well <sighs> tired <laughs> um yeah and then I, and then um like you said I've got a I've got a few others that I haven't read that yeah. um so why don't we talk about those and then we can wrap up yeah sure so um I've noticed a movement lately of some of these uh, web presences actually being able to move into the book world, which I think is a positive thing because, you know, it's kind of acknowledging that, you know, these people who are doing this did read these books too when they were younger and they do have a place of importance to the people who wrote them. Uh, one of the ones that I wrote down was uh, the Bleeding Skull Guide. Yeah, I wrote that one down too. By uh, Dan Budnick and uh, 
Joseph Zimba. Because they write, they run a site called The Bleeding Skull, which is a, a really good source for obscure, a lot of shot on video 80s movies and stuff like that. And, you know, you, you never know what you're going to get when you go to their site. And uh, this book just looks really awesome. It just looks really like I've, I've managed to flip through it on a time to time, but I can never quite justify the price for it, unfortunately, because it's expensive. But it's, um, you know, maybe out of print now. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. And I I think they do a good job on their site. And it looks like it's going to transfer over to book form really well. Um, Another one is uh, Brian W. Collins ran a site called Horror Movie a Day. Yeah. And uh, I used to read this site a lot back in the day. And he's just recently put out a book, Horror Movie a Day, the book. Right. And uh, originally it was only in Kindle. And uh, since I'm anti-ebook, I was hoping for an actual print version, and it happened. So I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on that in the future. Um, it's not quite like the site I've heard because it's supposed to be like structured for like, here's a movie you can watch every day of the year, and they are sort of themed too. And I, I like his stuff. I like his writing on his site. I think he's very, um, he's just everyday average dude kind of guy. Yeah. So uh, I like that from people who are writing about genre be, for the most part. Like I have a thing about people who write about genres. Like I like people to be knowledgeable, but I also kind of like them to have that kind of, you know, off the cuff kind of attitude to them in a way too. Casual. Casual. But I'm also not very keen on like the sites where the reviewer feels the need to like s- do an awful lot of swearing or like, you know, like really like bad references and stuff. Like there's certain sites I can point at that I'm not going to name names yeah. that I just can't stand reading their stuff. Cause they're trying to act so fucking cool. As you swear, like I just swore <laughs> cause I'm trying to act so fucking cool. But you know what I mean? Like there, there's ones who just, it feels like fake put upon exuberance. Yeah. You know, and I don't really like that, but the horror movie a day, I've always liked that site and I'm really excited that he managed to get out a book. Right. on. And uh, and and one that I want to get just for fun is uh, the comedy film Nerd's Guide to Film. Kind of curious about by that. Graham Elwood and uh, Chris Mancini because I I think Graham Graham Elwood's a pretty funny guy. Yeah, I like it when he's on this podcast hosted by Doug Benson called Doug Loves Movies, and I'm just curious to see their take on yeah on films because th- they actually seem like they pretty much know what they're talking about for the most part. Yeah, I so, thought about getting that one. So too. I'm definitely curious about that one. Right on. Um, yeah, just a couple more. I'm um, actually I do own this one, but I haven't read it yet. But it's called uh, "Destroy All Movies: The Complete Guide to Punks on Film." Uh, this came out in 2010. This is another like massive tome um, with the uh, the class of 1984 gang on the cover. Damn right. And uh, this <laughs> this movie covers or this book covers every every instance in a film when a punk showed up so jesus it's pretty it's pretty unique and pretty exhaustive but uh um pretty fun too so it's it's i flip through it it's pretty cool and uh, i'm glad i i'm glad i own it um another one is um that i want to buy and it's actually right in my shopping cart right now it's called heavy metal movies oh yeah i've seen this i've looked at this book it looks pretty cool yeah by mike mcpadden and this just talks about heavy metal movies movies with yeah, kind of we're talking hard rock zombies. Hard rock yeah. zombies. <laughs> so 
So um, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing that one as well. And um, yeah, I think that's um, that's kind of it. I have a couple at home that I have sitting on my shelf waiting to read. Um, there's one called The Disaster Artist, which is all about Tom about the movie The Room. That's more like a biography, though. It right? isn't yeah. really because it's a, it's one of his friends who wrote the book, and it's about the production of the actual movie. Nice. So I I have that at home, and I'm waiting to read that. And um, I have this one book. I'm not sure of the author's name, but it's called uh, I think it's called Film Age, and it's an actual graphic novel about the history of film. Nice. Filmish. It's called Filmish. Oh, that sounds cool. And uh, I, I picked that up recently. And I'm really looking forward to that because it's it's a unique format for the history of film in in graphic novel form. Right on. So yeah. And the last thing I wanted to bring up was um, just uh, Rue Morgue magazine put out a little uh, book called uh, 200 Alternative uh, Horror Films You Need to See. The only reason I wanted to bring that up is just because there is just such a lack of books you can buy these days that you can tick shit off mm-hmm. i think it's a really cool return to that unfortunately i think also out of print but um try it out see if you can find a copy of that because uh i think it'd you'd probably turn you on to a few movies that you've maybe never heard of there's and, something to be said about having that book and actually like putting check marks in it yeah you can't tick off the imdb man. i gotta tell you there's some <laughs> there's something very uh satisfying about yeah. putting a check mark beside a title in a book and if you're not nerd, if you're in the internet generation, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah, you totally I know don't. it. I know it sounds really lame, but it's actually pretty fucking cool. It is, <laughs> and I find the internet it's just so hard to keep track of stuff. Like, you know, like even on IMDb, like it's fairly straightforward, like rating the movies and, but trying to keep all those lists going and stuff, like it's just too hard. And yeah. I just, you know, like like having the thing right in front of me. But God, I'm starting to talk like an old man though. <laughs> maybe because i am one but. all right well <laughs> let's wrap this up here um hopefully you heard about some books today that you might want to check out i know unfortunately a lot of them are out of print yeah but uh you know be like i do i always keep my eyes open for stuff like this in secondhand stores i mean i've managed to score some pretty good stuff i i just picked up a roger corman bio for like four bucks you know and you know you can find these things if you if you keep your eyes open and even you know, eBay, you know, and and not everything is out of print that we talked about. Yeah, so, not everything, but yeah. there's a you know there's a well, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Yeah, and uh, like we said, we've I I think we've covered from people who are trying to get into this stuff to people who are into it. Like we've covered all the bases here, and hopefully you guys have uh, picked up on some good ones. And if you have any su- to suggest to us, you know, you can just hit us up on online on the internet, which we've bitched about already yeah, this episode like i know darren's gonna like say some book that i like we're both gonna be like what the fuck how did we miss that so. yeah probably it's <laughs> it's it's kind of uh we miss stuff all the time but it's just because we have so much that we want to talk about yeah so uh www.thevideograveyard.com slash gbw podcast for all of our social media interactions yeah and uh i like to say this at the end of every episode because you know I, f- I want to feel needy, but uh, if if you could go give us a rating and a review on iTunes, if you haven't already, that'd be great because that gives us a little bit more exposure and, and lets us know that you actually dig what we're doing. Yeah. We'd like more people to listen to us too. So, yeah. So, tell, and that helps that. Tell, tell your friends about us and, uh, you know, if they have a, a long ass commute of, 
you know, two hours and 40 minutes like this episode, <laughs> then, uh, you know, we'll there's fit, a lot of good information in we, this episode. We, we can fit the bill for them perfectly. We worked hard on this episode. We there, work hard. There's a lot we, of information. In we this. work hard for our non-money. So you better <laughs> treat us right. No, I'm serious. Like, no. serious, if someone's made it this far and doesn't, doesn't know these books, there's a whole fucking list of cool books you can go buy. Exactly. And so, there's some books that we that we talked about today that I'm going to go buy. Yeah. So, so there you go. So two hours and 40 minutes of goodness for you. Yes. So <laughs> until until next time. I'm we, Josh and... Um, I'm Chris and uh, yeah, get, get some reading done, will you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night.